Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Night South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, great episode we've got today. Um, got about 45 minutes with Feinbaum in a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Also going to be doing uh, being sick as an adult and figuring it out, which is topical because, of course, you were dealing with COVID the last couple of weeks. I beat COVID. I beat the COVID charges. I beat the COVID positive charges. So I'm free. We had a nice little staycation. I'm back. You can't kill me. I'm here. How, how, are, how are we feeling overall? Are, are we back to 100%? Are you ever at 100%? I mean, dude, I'm actually feeling great. Like I said, I kind of got to chill out, got a lot of sleep. You know what I'm saying? I'm dreading my first workout tomorrow morning because it's been two weeks of just eating Uber Eats, <laughs> like just sleeping, chilling. Like it's been like just kind of a nice little reset to just be like, hey guys, leave me alone, I have COVID. But I'm definitely ready to be like at 100% and like, you know, get out, do an active outside. The stuff. good news is when you come back to that workout though, you're gonna feel like, wow, the day after, maybe probably two, three days after, I got a, such a great workout in because that just killed me. And sometimes you need yep. to get killed a little bit to feel like you got something out of a workout as opposed to just kind of doing you know, similar stuff, but nothing like a, that humbling first workout back after a long hiatus due to sickness, vacation, whatever it may be. You'll be ready for it. I believe in you. Oh, dude, I put one of these, like, the last days, I put, like, like uh, you know, a 25 on each side of the bar and did some squats, and I was like, was I ever strong? <laughs> like, I was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I don't know. I was like, <gasps> dude, trying to bust out, like, 10, and Brittany was just in there like, are you okay, man? I was like, no! <laughs> I swear I was better at one point. I was. I really was. <laughs> it's the worst I've ever been. Uh, all right, let's talk some uh, SEC spring game observations. There were three over the weekend, Kentucky, A&M, Auburn. They were sort of on at the same time. Uh, Kentucky started at one and the other started at two. Uh, but as I said last year, thank you to Matthew Loves Ball, who condenses all of these games and puts them on YouTube. If you have not seen these games, you want to go back and watch them, but you're like, I don't need to invest two hours in a spring game, or you just want to be able to watch 15 minutes to just kind of understand what exactly was going on, what the overall vibe was, go back, watch these on YouTube, cannot recommend it enough. I don't really think spring games in general are the place where we should completely um, change our opinion about something drastically. If we develop thoughts, that's okay. We have some thoughts that we are certainly developing right now that we're, definitely on display over the weekend that we'll get to, but I I find myself more telling people to kind of chill out when it comes to the breakout guys Mm -hmm. in spring games. I I don't really like to freak out over some of these guys. I remember saying on these airwaves last year, we did a little like factor fiction, something like that. And one of the things I mentioned was how great it was watching a Jai Hall make some big time plays, but as an early enrollee, I was still kind of pushing back on anyone saying that he was going to become this next great Alabama receiver. And don't you know it? A year later, he's in the portal after... He's a receiver for somebody. He, he will be. Probably not Alabama. Yeah, just not in Alabama. And certainly the town is there. Weird situation um, with him not knowing that he was suspended. Then Saban said he was. He wasn't sure about his future. Whatever the case, he is in the portal. And that spring game wherein Joe Tess, I, I think... Um, certainly made people believe a Jai Hall was going to be the man. Uh, if you're catching my drift, very much got into that call uh, with a Jai Hall making place. But anyways, that's my weird way of saying like, don't get too overly consumed by what we see in the spring game, especially with some of these younger guys that we haven't seen before. Maybe it's a little bit different if it's a fourth or a fifth year guy and you're kind of, you know, just waiting for them to put it all together. Um, I went back 
It's like the it's like the college football equivalent to like summer league, right? Like I'm sure you remember where you were for the Mario Hazonia dunk, where it was like, oh, this guy's this guy's gonna be an NBA player, and then suddenly. The rest of his career happened. So yeah, just point being, like you said, you almost look for the negatives more than the positives in these environments because those big positives will trick you. Will, I don't remember where I was for the Mario Hazonia dunk. And wow, wow, it's just, this is a cultural reset for me. I thought this guy was gonna be the future of the NBA. And lo and behold, he's the future of uh, Division Three over in Europe. So that'll conclude our Eurobasket. There are literally six people maybe listening to this podcast who even know <laughs> what sport Mario Hazonia played before you mentioned up the fact before you mentioned the fact that he dunked. Alright? I think Wow. You're a Mario Hazonia commemorative cup owner, and here you are slandering. I'm his one game. of those six people. <laughs> That's it. Um, but anyway, yeah. Spring games, treat them for what they are. Controlled environment essentially has four months sandwiched around it without any sort of live action. So that's why these takes can kind of run amok. The goal today, keep everything level-headed. So I'm just gonna kind of run through some of the observations I had watching each of these individual spring games. Kentucky. Sorry, one more thing. It's rolled in with draft season, right, too. So everyone's like already in their oh, high God. horse of being smarter than everyone. You right, you so you got like senior bowl, combine, where everybody becomes like an NFL college football expert talking about burst, three cone drill, all that stuff. Then you roll into the spring games and these people have tricked themselves into thinking this is real football. All this knowledge they've gained over those couple of months, they're ready to show well, it up. Also, and that's a great point. And also think about it where it falls on the sports calendar with the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. and the Masters. And we're used to watching these these games, these events that are so win or go home, do or die. Everything feels yep. so make or break that sometimes, and I'm guilty of this as well. I may or may not have said that the Cubs were going to go 162 and 0 after watching them get off to a 2 and 0 start. <laughs> I said it after the 1 and 0 start, but you know we need to sometimes have a little bit of perspective when we're talking about these spring scrimmages. Okay, Kentucky. I am glad that the weather didn't continue to be miserable. Um, if, if it did, I thought they probably should have just punted on playing because that looked really bad when I saw the, the picture that uh, Laura Sisler tweeted out, or um, yeah, that, that Lauren Sisler tweeted out. I thought to myself, like, this is a bad idea all around. I really hope <laughs> that Kentucky doesn't just try and push through because they hadn't had a spring game each of the last two years. They didn't have one last year, if you recall, at least not one that was able to be seen uh, on ESPN Plus or anything like that. But they're able to actually have somewhat decent weather and get this game off. Uh, it was cool to kind of see, speaking of uh, Lauren Sisler, the, the feature that she talked about with uh, with J.J. Weaver, the six-finger man, of course, who's going to be a big right. part of that linebacking core. Kind of weird to think that they don't really, they didn't really know a lot about that whole six-finger thing, or Kentucky bands didn't even really know a lot about it until that was kind of made public last year before a game, The, the I think it was the South Carolina game. Um, Classic sixth finger reveal. Tap yeah, I mean, I, it, it was, I'll say this, like, it was cool watching the special and seeing he's, and I think it was Jen Lotta who had the, the ESPN special during the season on College Game Day, but like, he's going to schools, he's talking to these kids about what it's like to be unique, what it's about to be different. Awesome stuff to be able to, to kind of see that. And the linebackers are going to be a big part of Kentucky's story this year. So that's, that's inevitably going to come up all the time. We're going to hear about that very, very frequently this year, especially now that it's that it's pretty known. Um, okay, Will Levis diving for the pylon on the first drive. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Look, right. If Will Levis is out there dialing it back, 
I'm saying to myself, who is that guy? What's going on here? What did he do with Will Levis? Uh, I bet Mark Stoops wasn't crazy about that. It's tough to flip that switch, but nonetheless, Will Levis uh, got out of that game unscathed. I think we can still agree that the best version of Will Levis is the one in which he uses his legs, right? So I, tongue in cheek, I make that joke at the same time acknowledging that's really important. Will is an LSU fan, you know all too well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew where it was going. It's so sad. I've seen it coming at this point. I thought to myself, dang, that was tough. And you saw the tear in my eyes and pounced immediately. As an LSU fan, you saw what it was like when Will Levis just runs all over you. Louisville saw the same exact thing in the regular season finale. Mm -hmm. But it's important that Kentucky's quarterback room develops. I think, and I brought this up a lot, speaking of LSU, I brought this up a lot with Joe Burrow in 2018. So apologies if you've heard me make this point before. One of the things that held that LSU offense back, besides scheme, of course, was the fact that quarterback depth or lack thereof didn't really allow LSU to use Burrow as a runner in the way that they wanted to up until that AM game. I think Levis is every bit as good of a runner as Burrow was, if not better. I think he runs with a little bit more power. It's a little bit different of a style overall, but I, I think that some of the things that he does, especially in space, are just like, wow, that is an absolute weapon. If he's going to be unleashed in that way, Mark Stoops and Rich Gangarello, new offensive coordinator, they have to feel good about the backup options, which um, I don't know that they do just yet. Bo Allen, Deuce Hogan, great names for backup quarterbacks, great names. Um, still going to need to see a little bit more from them. I, I wouldn't say that Saturday was this exhale moment that Kentucky fans were kind of looking for in that spot. Bo Allen's in year three. He won the backup job last year, which was what prompted Joey Gatewood to transfer. But watching Levis and Allen side by side made it really evident what it looked like to be within the scheme and then kind of what it looked like when the timing was just a little bit off and it just didn't flow in the same sort of way. But Allen taking that step forward, very big step for Kentucky. Either that or Deuce Hogan, the Iowa transfer who walked on. Uh, he, they, he, they have to look the part. And I don't know if you can really rely on Deuce Hogan to be that guy because um, as Iowa fans will tell you, he was frustratingly buried on the depth chart and maybe a, vic a victim of some, uh, some nep nepotism within the offensive staff. Brian Ferentz, <laughs> who um, inexplicably got another promotion this offseason by his dad, Kirk. Uh, yeah, he didn't get those reps. Long story short, he walked on at Kentucky. He's not even scholarship guy yet, which is kind of crazy. But one of those guys kind of needs to emerge in order for Will Levis, I think, to be fully utilized in the way that we feel like he can. Um, I didn't think that uh, anything other than that was really anything crazy out of the ordinary. We've seen Chris Rodriguez use kind of in the passing game. I said it before, I'll say it again. I love the Tavion Robinson addition. The Virginia Tech transfer had a really nice yak play on the sideline. He's very shifty. Even if he's not Wondell Robinson 2.0, there's still value for him. He still should get a lot of targets. That There was a play that he kind of set up um, for this, this touchdown catch from Dane Key, the true freshman, that they are really, really high on. He's going to get a chance to get a lot of reps with Josh Ali gone. Um, but yeah, those are my big takeaways. Oh yeah, Stoops saying that they're going to go after offensive tackle. They're going to go after defensive back in the transfer portal. Um, but nothing else crazy out of the ordinary, noteworthy from Kentucky scrimmage besides that. Just vibe slash names. Are you taking the Georgia quarterback room or the Kentucky quarterback room? If we're going names, I'm going Kentucky, man. 
Deuce Hogan, Deuce Hogan is a great name. It really is. It, it absolutely is. Um, I, I don't know that. I don't know that Will Levis is a good enough name um, to really make me think that that's like the best quarterback room in the country for names. But Bo Allen and, and Deuce Hogan, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia still has the depth, and I would still probably want to roll the dice a little bit more on Brock Vandegriff. And obviously Stetson Bennett's going to be the starter there. But uh, yeah, I think that explains it. I think kind of being buried on the Kirk Verich depth chart is actually like a bag, badge of honor. If you don't see football the same way that guy does, I want you yeah, on my team. Yeah. Um, look, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too worried if you're a Kentucky fan that he did not get reps at Iowa. Um, that doesn't. That doesn't really mean that he's a bad quarterback. It just means that he went to a place that doesn't really evaluate quarterback all that well, in my opinion. Um, okay, a place that does evaluate quarterback a little bit better. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. Haynes King on the RPO, it's chef's kiss. It really is. I miss not seeing that in 2021. I don't know that he would have emerged into a star. I said he was the ultimate X factor in the SEC coming into the season, but watching him on the RPO is beautiful. It's awesome. He can, can make plays that I think very few guys at this level can with his athleticism, his speed. I don't really doubt that. I question how it would look kind of coming off the injury. If we would see the full arsenal, it's a spring game. You're really not gonna see those mobile guys that much in that setting where it's basically one hand touch. Um, Max Johnson had a really nice long run that was initially ruled a touchdown, but there was, I mean, it, it was called back and it was one of those plays where like, probably wouldn't have gotten very far if this were tackle football because guys are pulling up and, and all that. But what was very- The Mac, the Mac Jones gritty. Yes, of course, exactly like that. <laughs> I was wondering if anybody would remember that play in the Pro Bowl where, where Mac Jones somehow was um, basically just given a free pass to the end zone to run, what, 70 yards? And to, to just <laughs> gritty on everyone. That's all you need to know about the, the 2022 Pro Bowl. It was really bad, really bad. Um, Max Johnson was really eager to show that he could run. That, that's obvious. He doesn't want to feel like he is on a different level athletically than Haynes King, even though he is. Max Johnson is not at that level, he's not. But you could kind of tell, like there was another design QB draw on third down where they ruled that he was down before um, the line again, I think, and he was really frustrated. You can kind of tell, he's like, I wanna be able to show what I can do with my legs. And I totally get why it makes a lot of sense. Uh, he, I, I would tend to think that we're, we're, we're gonna need to see Johnson have some more mobility, right? Will, as an LSU fan, you saw instances in which you kind of wish he had that in his arsenal to a certain extent where it would have been really valuable to be able to just kind of tuck it and go make a play. And it's not that he can't do that. He can do that, but at a level where he could have bailed LSU out, especially post Keishon Butte injury, where he kind of struggled to be able to, to find some of those reads. Um, but he needs to have those legs because that's what AM asks of their quarterbacks. That's what Jimbo wants to be able to have these guys do. And he doesn't have to do it at Haynes King level, but it has to be significantly different, I think, than what we saw at LSU in the, I'll put this in air quotes for you, Jake Pete's offense. 
suggestive. Yeah, to call that an offense is offensive to offenses. But yeah, no, it's it's funny that like he came in as a dual threat guy, right? It was him and Finley, and Finley was kind of the statuesque like pocket passer. And whenever Johnson took the job over, you know, the Florida game, the Ole Miss game, like at the end of that 2020 season, um, it, it was it was really showing off his legs. But then as you talked about with QB depth, that started to play a factor in 2021 with uh, sure. yet another Miles Bennett injury, and so the, he just wasn't used as a runner at all. So I think that you know he was recruited as a dual threat guy. He was used effectively in 2020 as a dual threat guy. But you're right, it's not like he's some crazy athlete. He's just a guy with no fear, which is a good thing to have if you're allowed to do that in the offense. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that if he does end up winning the starting job, which we don't know, and I, I didn't necessarily watch that spring game and think that either one of them was significantly better than the other, but if he does end up winning that job, I would think that in year three, in the sense of urgency he has, that he will run with no fear. And he will not care whatsoever. He's not going to care what the quarterback depth chart says. He will do whatever he can to try and make a name for himself and to try and you know, make sure that he is not the, the thing that is holding back this A&M offense, similar to like what we talked about with Zach Calzada last year. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that it was, it was a relatively rough showing from the quarterbacks. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. Like Johnson starts off four for 11, and then he had a touchdown on this, this, this play where he kind of showed off his legs going to his left. He found Jalen Preston, who made a move after the catch, long run. There was another play where Wigman hit Preston on a beautiful ball over the middle, and it was sort of a fumble, sort of an interception. It looked more like a fumble. I think they ruled it a fumble that Avery Hughes recovered. The walk-on, who was everywhere, by the way, forced three turnovers, um, and it looked really good in the process. But it was just not a great day for the quarterbacks. It wasn't. Classic Jimbo move, though, and I love this. I wonder how many people picked up on this who were watching the spring game. Um, Max Johnson throws, throws an interception, and then Jimbo's like, Connor Wigman, get in there. <laughs> Jimbo gives him short fields pretty much like throughout the afternoon, right? Like that's that's the entire mindset. Build up the, the five-star freshman, the guy that he's just obviously crazy about. So of course then Wigman has like a, a touchdown drive and he gets to celebrate. His first two drives were touchdown drives. Still a lot of a lot of teachable moments for him. Um, one of them was this third and four. He's got the blitz coming from, from Samuel Matthews on the right side. Wigman sort of just rushes this low percentage throw in single coverage and Jimbo pulls him aside and basically says like, look, it's third and four, man. It's You need to recognize where that blitz is coming from and attack that area to move the chains. Those are the types of things that Max Johnson has been doing well since he was a true freshman. We talked about that so much with Florida about why it was amazing to watch what he was doing to Todd Grantham's blitz packages. Todd Grantham probably walked into that game thinking, oh, I'll fool this guy easily. I'll just send pressure at him from these different spots. And then Max Johnson's like, nope, there's my blitzer. I'm gonna pick on that guy, boom, easy pitch and catch. That's the thing that Wigman has to be able to get to, but the ability is obviously there. Numbers were bad. Numbers were really bad for this one, man. Uh, Max Johnson was 13 for 31. Not great. Uh, Haynes King was an even worse, 11 for 31. If that's baseball. <laughs> Offensive guru. Yeah, look, if that's baseball, that's great. Um, but right? playing quarterback in the toughest division in the sport, not so great. Just gonna throw that out there. Against your own yeah, team. Uh, in a pretty controlled setting, um, but never fear. Jimbo afterwards chalked the performance up to the weather. It looked, I'm pretty sure it was sunny in 75 in College Station. There was a little bit of wind. There was a little bit of wind. Aggie fans, don't get mad at me. There was wind. It looked beautiful. <laughs> it looked really nice. Um, it was 
as opposed to Mark Stoops, who was cranking up a weather machine in the back so they could play hard right. football. Jimbo was like, there's a slight breeze going on. I don't know if we can really count yeah, this Stoops one. Stoops was like, where did the snow go? What, what happened? Come on, get that, get that out of here. <laughs> I was rooting for way more chaos, Storm from yeah. Marvel. Come on, it's get ridiculous. it together. Um, if, you, if you have followed Jimbo, watching him in these settings, that's, that's just kind of what he does. If you listen to him comment on one of those quarterbacks specifically, you would probably think he's all in on them becoming the starter. He doesn't really talk definitively when he's got a battle like this. I thought it was, knowing knowing the situation, I set my expectations low for Max Johnson. A couple months to be able to learn this new offense. We always talk about how complicated it is to be a Jimbo Fisher quarterback and all that he demands of you. You have to understand your reads as a runner as well in a different sort of way. Um, so I wasn't necessarily expecting him to look the part. I, in flashes, maybe he looked the part, but for the, I, I think for the majority of the afternoon, you're kind of like, yeah, we're going to need to see more if you're going to be the guy to lead us to a potential division title or, or anything like that. Um, I think it's a reminder that even someone who has had success in the SEC like Max Johnson has had, I think you still need to be able to give that person time to develop in an offense, time to be able to develop that rapport with your receivers. Um, yeah, I think like the thing is, man, like you're right. I, I seriously give Max Johnson a pass here because he has had one offensive coordinator who was like 60 and then he had another one who was like Are my we age shaming you? Neither, what, what are we doing? <laughs> I'm just saying, neither of them are quite on the cutting edge of football. One was kind of inventing the edge as he was going, but it wasn't really the edge. And so to put him in like a complicated system like that, I, I do feel for him, and I feel like he has a little bit of runway. Haynes King been staring at that clipboard yeah. for a year and a half at this point. I don't know what, what his excuse is, because like we talked about it kind of leading up to the season. It's like, this is kind of, to me, to me, as a Max Johnson appreciator or watcher, this is Haynes King's job kind of to lose. And it's like, if you're seeing those numbers and they're that close, it's like, we know... This kind of shouldn't be going this way if one guy has that much bigger of a run. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, I, I still wanted to kind of hold off what oh, I yeah. thought. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's just kind of yeah. funny. Um, and that, that battle, I, I, I truly think there's a scenario in which Jimbo Fisher tells, tells his starter, a la Urban Meyer 2015, just like what he did with Cardale, hey, you're, you're, oh, you're yeah. taking the first snap after the opening kickoff. Like Jimbo will play this very close to the vest, I think, moving forward, and he'll he'll get, like it, it's being decided between those two guys. I think we can say that with mm -hmm. pretty much certainty, and that's not to necessarily um, throw shade at, at Connor Wigman or anything like that. Just think it's going to come down to those two guys. Um, in non-quarterback observations, Anaya Smith in the non-contact jersey, just trying to keep him healthy. Don't want him getting hurt in that setting, obviously. Uh, Got to see him at tailback a little bit because Tavon A-Chain wasn't there. He had track duties, um, which meant that other running backs kind of got a chance to shine. I thought Amari Daniels looked really, really good. He's kind of built in that Travion Williams role, 5'8", 200 pounds. Second year guy, he should carve out a significant role with Isaiah Spiller gone. I think Jimbo is going to lean heavily on Devon A-Chain this year. I really do. Um, Evan Stewart, the five-star true freshman receiver. We don't get too excited about true freshman receivers, especially when they're in the Jimbo Fisher offense. One or two of them have to pan out. They got so many of them over there. It's That's fair. true. This is true. I, look, Aggie fans, you want to get excited long-term. I, I fully get it. He's probably going to be asked to do more than you would see for a typical Jimbo true freshman receiver. Um, the ability's there. There's, there's no doubt about it. Like you, you see the deep ball. He caught a deep ball from Haynes King where you're like, oh yeah, that's, 
that's why he medaled as a long jumper, a triple jumper, and on these relay teams. Like, he's, he's a very, very freakish athlete, no doubt about it whatsoever. Uh, learning the offense has always been the difficult thing for true freshman receivers in Jimbo's offense. Jalen Weidemeyer's absence is going to be felt. Okay, I'm going to say that about this team, like watching this spring game. Uh, I, I think that they're they're going to need that safety valve. And I say that even as someone who saw the results that Jalen Weidemeyer put up. Not great testing results going into your uh, NFL evaluation, but he's a great player. You've forbidden me from memeing him, so I won't. This is, I, I am a Jalen Weidemeyer defender, <laughs> supporter, but he hasn't necessarily been the number one um, SEC tight end like in each of the last two seasons, obviously, because we saw two unbelievable seasons, Kyle Pitts, Brock Bowers, the last two years. But I would still say over the course of the last three years that he has been the SEC's best tight end in that stretch because of his whole body of work. But yes, they're going to miss him. They're really going to miss him. Isaiah Spiller, also a key part of that passing game. That's two of your three leaders in receptions. You also had DeMond Demas, Baylor Cup, both highly touted guys who entered the transfer portal this offseason. The good news is that Caleb Chapman, Hezekiah Jones should be out, uh, should be back for this team when they're when they're healthy. They weren't uh, able to suit up for the spring game. It probably would have looked a lot worse for AM if Anaya Smith wasn't out there in a non-contact jersey, but this game just kind of felt um, like it lacked offensive identity um, in a major way. And without A-Chain as well, which is such a big part of their offense, kind of hard to, to have too many sweeping, uh, too many, I didn't want to come to too many conclusions watching AM in this game, but those are just some of my observations. Okay. I think like a full full playbook Jimbo is going to be like the TNT Bulls. One day we're going to see full playbook Jimbo in like two or three years. He's going to average like 60 points a game. He's just going to be jet sweeps, RPOs, action. Everyone's going to be like, ha, ah, this is what we were hiding this okay, whole time. I said six people understood your Mario Hazonia reference. There are eight okay. people who understand what in the world the TNT Bulls are. The Bulls are usually bad. And when they play on TNT, they're very good. So I started to say Super Saiyan Jimbo. That probably would have connected a little bit better. Dragon Ball Z, I, I, maybe maybe 100 people who listen to this podcast would have gotten that. <laughs> They're younger. We all watched. Did you not watch Dragon Ball no, Z? Anyway. No. no, I didn't. No, I didn't. All right. Let's talk Auburn. <laughs> sorry. I just, I'm not trying to dunk on all your references today. Well, I'm really not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm doing my best. This is my first non-COVID. I have the non-contact jersey on. And look, you're giving him passes, not me. It's I all know. I'm saying. All right, Auburn. Um, Non-quarterback things to start here. Nehemiah Pritchett opening kickoff to the house. Good to see that. Think he's going to have a big role in this defense, despite the fact that they lost a lot of key pieces from that secondary. Um, I really like seeing Tank involved in the passing game. I think... I think Jarquez Hunter, his emergence last year, should allow Auburn to do that a little bit more. Whoever Auburn's starter is going to be is going to need some high percentage throws. I don't really trust the wide receivers, even though it was nice to see Malcolm Johnson running that corner route, making a play in one-on-one -on -one coverage. Finley basically just told him, go up, make a play, and he was able to do that. This offense looks really similar to what Mike Bobo ran. We're seeing a lot of the stuff where they're, they're operating under center. They kind of like to mix things up a little bit. They get the high percentage rollouts to the tight end in the flat. They do that a decent amount. No Zach Calzada in this game because dealing with a shoulder injury, um, that, that's a big missed opportunity for him. I, I really think that. he's Harson said he's just been chomping at the bit to be out there um, because we, we really could have seen Zach Calzada kind of turn a new leaf in, in the spring and instead we're gonna kinda of have to wait to see what it looks like in the fall. I, I just think that unless, 
unless there's something that Harson saw this past year with with Zach Calzada in him, I think it's going to be tough for him to become the guy. Like, keep in mind, Calzada beat Auburn on a day in which AM didn't have a single touchdown drive, and Calzada completed 52% of his passes for 6.6 yards per attempt. All right? Like, it's not like Harson should have this unbelievable impression of Calzada where he's just holding out hope that he's going to be the guy. Um, I think this is just valuable time that Calzada, unfortunately, situation outside of his control, is not able to be out there getting those reps with a new group of receivers and a new offense. Robbie Ashford. I've got thoughts. Hoover High, great. Will? Hoover legend. Robbie Ashford. Yes, they shouldn't forget. Uh, was once throwing passes to George Pickens, walked the same halls that a certain Will Ogburn once walked. Yeah. Just two Hoover legends. Yeah. Um, we hadn't really seen him in live action because two years at Oregon, he's playing baseball, so he's not getting the spring. They had the, the herky-jerky COVID year in 2020. Uh, look, you know me with, with spring games. I, I don't want to take too much from these games in which dual threat quarterbacks, which he is, are like one hand touch. It is such a buzzkill to see these mobile quarterbacks get out into the open field and they get one hand touch and the play is ruled dead or everyone stops and the QB just kind of runs into the end zone and the coach has to decide how much he needs to boost his quarterback's confidence and whether or not they're gonna rule it a touchdown or not. That happened with, with Ashford. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that he was unbelievable and he would have taken that that performance to a different level if he could have been tackled, but there were there were instances in which, and Harson said this afterwards, it would have been great to see him live. And right now, that's just not what we're able to work with. He had this unbelievable throw, though, I thought to Capers, where he read the coverage, kind of fits it into that spot over the middle of the field, a lot of mustard on that fastball. Yes, that's a baseball reference to a guy who played baseball, but you see him kind of handle the pressure well, and you see him step into that throw, and you're like, all right, this is this is what you could have hoped for if you're an Auburn fan. He's got some happy feet, and I, I don't really think that's great in a spring game in which you know that you're not gonna have to worry about like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter barreling down on you and it giving you a hit that your entire family feels. But I still thought that for the most part, Ashford looked good and he looked better than TJ Finley did. It's the old known versus the unknown. I talk about this a lot in the offseason mm-hmm. here. TJ is still working through these, these mechanical issues of like how he distributes weight with his throwing motion. He's still kind of figuring out what that looks like. But it's still pretty known in year three that he has very obvious strengths and very obvious weaknesses, okay? We've seen him now have a full season's worth of reps against actual SEC competition. If you were, power, if you were like a Power 5 program, um, you know, maybe Arkansas, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Iowa, you knew your offensive line was gonna hold up. You could put TJ Finley out there and he could be that game manager stereotype and you would be just fine winning eight games. I I think there's a world in which TJ could exist in that capacity. I just don't think Auburn's in that spot. I really don't. I, I think the offensive line is a question mark. Cole talked about the improvement that that group needs to be able to show. If he's saying that in the spring, it's kind of tough to assume that's gonna be one of the better units. So if you're Harson, you have to be willing to look at your roster and think about who the best guy is to fit your personnel. That's why I kind of find myself saying like, I think Ashford has a better chance than I was giving him credit for even though he's a guy who hasn't played a snap at the FBS level. And I said, if I'm Harson, I wouldn't necessarily want to roll the dice on a guy like that if I feel like my job is on the line. I think his job is on the line. 
I think Harson has to give him a realistic shot. I really do. Um, there has to be that sense of urgency. It doesn't matter that that Oregon played three quarterbacks last year and he wasn't one of them. You can't look at that. You have to look about what he's going to do for your football program moving forward. And if he is the best fit with your personnel, then that's the decision you have to make. Um, one last note. And then I want to get your thoughts on Auburn or any of these. Tyler Fromm had this, he had this move where he caught the ball on the flat and he just totally broke a dude's ankles, uh, broke a dude's ankle in the secondary. It was one of those like cross him up type plays. Looked like a slick field all day. So I'm sure that there'll be some pushback from some listening to this saying, ah, yeah, guys are kind of slipping all over the place. But it's, it was absolutely gonna be one of those plays that gets rewound in the film room probably 15 different times. The fact that Tyler Fromm looks nothing like his brother, Jake Fromm, is perfect. Like he's got this sick flow going. He's got the blonde hair coming out the back of the helmet. I, I think we need to, to say this here. If he continues to keep his hair the way that it is and he kind of grows out, he's got the flow. I think that he should be able to catch passes without getting the he's Jake Fromm's younger brother mentioned every single time. Can we do that for him? Let's do that for Tyler Fromm today. Are you, we're okay yes, with that? Absolutely. He's earned that right. Um, uh, you know, what, did, what about tight end? It's like the brother position, right? Because Max Johnson's brother plays tight end. Jake Fromm's brother plays tight end. Maybe I guess they just, I mean, sure, the Gronkowski's have a ton of brothers. It's like, you know, you're, you're lining up backyard football. It's almost like, you know, the, the tough, like, BA brother is like, you know what, I'm going to just catch the passes. And we've seen that, you yeah. know? Yeah, uh, big time brother position, I, I, I think. Yes. Um, I, I, and Auburn actually using tight ends was one of that's revolutionary. Yeah, revolutionary. Big, big development in 2021. For all the things that kind of went wrong, seeing them actually use the tight end position was a welcome sight. And I, I'm sure that whoever their starting quarterback is will probably be asked to, to target the tight end a lot. They did that a decent amount in the spring game as well. A lot of high percentage throws. Any other takeaways from anything Auburn, anything A&M, Kentucky, spring football in general, spring in general? <laughs> um. <laughs> Since I already stepped all over here on the first two, I'll just give my uh, take on the Auburn quarterback situation really quick. I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's uh, my least favorite phrase this week. I don't know how long I'm going to hate this phrase, but it's in a vacuum. Everybody wants to put everything in a vacuum, right? So the thing about Robbie Ashford, uh, like you said, he's just kind of more dynamic than Finley. And Finley is a fine player, but, you know, if you're fighting for your job, like Harson is, it's a lot easier to sell like, here's the fun brand of football I want to play with a guy like Robbie Ashford, where it's like, hey guys, you know, you're showing to Boosters administration, the Yellowwood guy watching from his giant Mardi Gras float that I'm sure he sits in at Auburn. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, you get to watch a fun project product with Robbie Ashford where it's like, hey, you know, coming off of that offense last year, where obviously they fired the OC. Uh, there's several OCs since then. Uh, they watched the Alabama game, which Finley, you know, was okay. Um, <laughs> and I think that... He was fine. We're going to try to blame Mike Bobo. And his on ankle, one, I think. but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so like, it's like, it's hard to really sell that. It's like, hey guys, you had me back for another year. I'm sticking with this guy who really kind of underwhelmed last year. Bo Nix is obviously gone, so there's not that option. So I feel like they want to do like the, the date Mike approach mm. here, where it's like, okay, we're coming in. We're going to be new now. I'm cool, Harson. You know, I got a dual threat quarterback. I got a new OC. It's young and fun as opposed to like, remember that old Harson? We don't know him anymore. He didn't let you like your eggs in the morning. <laughs> exactly. That's the type of, that's the type of guy we're trying to get here on the plane. Okay. All right. Picture this. If Auburn is going to have one of those years, one of those years, <laughs> we all know exactly what yes. you're talking about. Everybody too. knows. 
If you close your eyes and think about that script, mm -hmm. TJ Finley ain't it. Zach Calzada ain't it. I don't know that Robbie Ashford is going to be it. I don't know that he's not going to be it. But there's something about seeing him in this spot where now he gets to put baseball on the back burner. He's back in his home state. He's not 2,500 miles from home. They're seeing what he could potentially do in this offense. And there's intrigue. I'm not saying that means anything. Um, it might, this might be, for all we know, Robbie Ashford is gonna be QB three and he's gonna decide, nah, I'm just gonna play baseball at Auburn and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take mm -hmm. a pass on football. Like there's, there's a scenario in which that plays out. I find myself more intrigued by this development and seeing kind of what he can do. You just don't know. You don't know until you actually see it out there against, against the speed, against what it would look like against certain defenses. We still don't know definitively what it's gonna look like live, if he turns into a different guy, when he can be hit. You just don't know these specific things. But I came away at least encouraged by that development. If he was gonna look like a guy who just was very much a project, four years of eligibility left. Let's not forget that. Four years of eligibility left for him. So you don't necessarily have to worry about, oh, if we don't start him this year, like we're, you know, and I guess there is the, the opportunity for him to go play baseball, like I just said. So, but other than that, you could think we could play the long game with this. I don't know if Harson could do that either though, because if you're fighting for your job, there's really not a project situation for you. It's figure out who the starter is and worry about all that other stuff another time. Figure out who your guy is this year, and if Ashford is that guy, which, you know, he looked capable of being that guy, then you gotta be able to roll with him. The over-under on Harson actually settling on a winner. I was thinking about this. Because if you can't have three guys splitting reps with the ones deep into August, yep. I would think, right? Like maybe Harson's going to still try and do that. I don't think you have to worry about Finley leaving. I don't think you have to worry about Calzada leaving because that's after the May 1st deadline. They're undergrads anyway, so whatever. Is he going to actually give any sort of clarity on this? We're not going to get, in my opinion, a Gus Malzahn like, um, you know, back in 2019 where he waits two weeks after spring to give us the hierarchy that Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood are at the top of the depth chart. And sorry, Cord Sandberg, sorry, Malik Willis, but the job is going to the younger guys. Do whatever you want with that information. Malik Willis then just became a first round pick. Um, he sure did what he yeah. wanted to. With that, with that I don't think Harson is going to do that. I don't. I really don't. I right. think he takes it in a different direction. But I'm more intrigued by Robbie Ashford. Definitely more intrigued. And I think Auburn fans are in agreement with that. That's what kills us about this situation, too. Because with Gus, it's like, at least we knew. Everything was random as hell. But at least we knew what, kind of like what Gus was, what was going on up here. We truly still don't know Brian Harson. <laughs> like, we don't know where his head's at. We don't know what motivates him. We don't really know what type of quarterback he likes. So it could be anything with him, really. It's a block yeah, of the draw. Maybe the, that and LSU. Those A&M, Auburn, and LSU, those three battles can go in a lot of different ways. And I don't know that anything definitively mm -hmm. in the spring developed to make us think that it's going to go one way or the other. All right. Let's kick it to Fine Mom. Always great to chat with Paul. Uh, I think we mentioned almost every single SEC head coach in there. Talked about just a ton of stuff. Had a lot of fun as always. Here is Paul Feinbaum. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Paul Feinbaum. Uh, Paul, I want to dig into some things with, uh, with coaches with you, but first I got to ask, uh, Hey Paul, how you doing? Hey Paul, how you doing? 
Uh, Connor. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Connor, uh, for those who don't know what we're doing, uh, we were reenacting a couple of weeks ago when we had a guy that went, he did a, he did five consecutive, hey, Paul, how are you doing? And I continue, I, I just thought the best thing to do is just say his name. Because when, when, when you see somebody on the street or in, in the office and you really don't care for them, they say, hey, Connor, how you doing? Dave? Like, I don't really want to talk to you, man. <laughs> and that's how I felt about this guy. But it, it, it made, made a little bit of news. Tom from Alabama was doing a bit, right? Like, that wasn't just freezing in the moment. He actually had that plan to be able to just ask that question over and over. Yeah, no, he's – and I don't, I don't want anyone to misinterpret me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I care that you care. Um, but there comes a point three hours and 47 minutes – in, in the show that you just want to say, I'm doing great, man. Just, I, I don't need any more. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, okay. Let's, let's start in a different way then before we get to the real stuff. Um, and by the way, for those who are watching this on YouTube, Paul just got a new iPad. So it's doing like this zoom thing. It's got like a zoom lens. If you, if you're seeing that it's not you, it's, it's like Paul's iPad. Yeah. If, if you're going, and I don't know what's stuff. going on. I, uh, if someone can uh, contact me and tell me how to, uh, tell it to quit zooming every time I, uh, I breathe, <laughs> uh, it would probably be better for the audience. Share, share in the YouTube comments about how to fix the zoom, the zoom fish lens that just has like kind of a mind of its own, but we'll, we'll work through it. That's, uh, that's, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll start in a different direction. Um, do you, do you normally have breakfast? I don't know if I've ever asked you that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a really early riser. Uh, I get up. Uh, I've got this dog who likes to go out at 530 in the morning. So uh, I get him out and, and then I'm up. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a, you know, very a voracious reader. I mean, I kind of come through a thousand things in the morning. Uh, and then I usually eat breakfast and uh, I'm, I'm not a big, bro- like, I mean, I'm cereal, you know, toast. I'm, I'm not like bacon, eggs, uh, grits, uh, uh, waffles, pancakes. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty much one dimensional breakfast eater. Are you an iced coffee guy? Uh, no, I, I, I will drink iced coffee in the summer, uh, later in the day, but I, I prefer just normal coffee in the morning. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am, when I go to Starbucks, I'm like, they just like, Oh my goodness, here comes the guy here, here. Uh, a coffee place. I, mean, I, I don't need like a thousand things that I can't pronounce. I, I'm just, uh, you know, give me the coffee and I'll figure out the rest. When you go to Starbucks, do they say, Hey Paul, when, when they get uh, your they coffee? Do. Uh, it, it's just, they go, uh, they go, Hey Paul, how you doing? You think Bama's going to win again? I said, yep, 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 yep. yep. Um, now, uh, when I was, when I lived in Alabama, it was a little more, uh, but the baristas at, at Starbucks, uh, it has been my experience, Connor, are, are not really the biggest SEC fans. Really? In Charlotte? I mean, that's, I, I guess that makes sense. It's more of an ACC yeah. type place. The fact that ICC Network headquarters are in Charlotte is still kind of one of those things. It's like, oh, yeah, even though they have all of this ACC stuff. So you probably do get that. But I imagine you've had the barista who has wrote on your coffee at least once yeah. in, in Charlotte. Hey, Paul, with like four or five W's. Well, the problem with living in a foreign city, uh, and, and I do feel like I live in a foreign city in relation to the SEC, is that you get all these benign, hey, uh, I mean, I got a neighbor who thinks I care about Michigan. Uh, I've got other neighbors who think I care about North Carolina. Uh, so, I mean, the problem is you just walk down the street and it's like, if you know a heating and air conditioning guy, you'll stop and say, hey, do you know what the free on? They're like, hey, you think... Uh, you think Clemson's? I mean, I don't like, but it, it's 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 not what it, when, when in Alabama it was it was 
nine out of ten questions about Bama. Maybe maybe you got that stray Auburn guy, but not here in the, the most uh, anonymous place in the world for football loyalty, Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, one last dumb question. Similar note. Um, when you're going through the airport, taking one of your various jet-setting excursions out of Charlotte, um, when you are trying not to get recognized, like you're, you're like, all right, the last thing I want to deal with is random fan base coming up to me. I don't need a, a TCU fan, shout out Danny Brams, coming up to me and talking horn frogs right now. I'm not in that mode. But do you do you rock a hat? Because you are you are the exact person who should be wearing a hat at the airport because of how different you would probably look to the average person. Yeah, I gave this up a long time ago. I used to uh, go. Uh, my wife and I we lived near a Walmart, and I'd go and we'd go in there on a Sunday, and I'd wear a hat and sunglasses, and we weren't like past the greeter uh, before somebody said, "Hey, Paul." I, I, uh, hey, my wife was a that's really a great disguise i mean you, know, you, you should be a cia agent uh i i i don't mind uh i mean i i mean i don't want to say um i mean there are people in, in our business who are gregarious who can't wait to get recognized i'm you know usually you're at an airport it's 6 15 in the morning i mean you're polite uh and you always know uh at this point connor you you see them coming over and you just you you can pretty well tell what the topic will be. Uh, if the person's real shy, you know that they're, they're looking for the selfie. Uh, I mean, a lot of times people would just, they, but you, you, your antenna's up not for the friendly, but it's for the unfriendly. That guy who who heard you last week say, hey, Alabama is going to win this game by three touchdowns, and then they lose to Texas A&M. You know that guy's lost some money. You don't want any part of him. Yeah, you, you get crap for that. I don't, which is not a bad place to be. But yeah, the the people at the airport, not for the record, I want people to know. I, I know people who have seen you at the airport and have said that you have nothing, you've been nothing but cordial and always welcoming and inviting and and, and being you know, I really uh I, I don't want to get off too deep on what a great guy I am, even though <laughs> I am. Um, but to me, uh it, it, it's something that I've adapted to uh later uh in in this portion of my career uh but people really uh appreciate uh what you do what i do what others do and, and i think the most important thing is to show it uh i mean early on i had that those blinders on and i, I kind of thought well everybody this guy's probably trying to kill me i better walk the other way um the thing that drives me crazy uh, though and I'll, I'll, I'll get off on a tangent so let's say we have connor o'gara on our show oh boy and we quote connor saying this is this is going to be a terrible year for Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, and then maybe in smaller letters, you know, he could he's probably only going to go eleven and two. So <laughs> we put that on on Twitter, and and then it's underneath it's you know at Connor Ger- O'Gara, and then Saban wins the national championship, and you'll get this thrown back in your face and at airport. Oh, yeah. Hey, I thought you said uh, I, I, like, and you want you want to sit there and argue and go. That wasn't me. That was that moron Connor O'Gara who said that. But you can't get away from it because it, you know, it's under your name, and most people don't understand uh, the uh, the attribution. Okay, so what Those can I say? Crazy at airports. <laughs> what can I say to get you in trouble the next time I go on your show? Uh, you can pretty much say anything because uh, you will, you will. But but I, 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 going back to the original, yeah, I mean, you really. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think you kind of go through a, a metamorphosis in your career. And I, I think COVID helped uh, a little bit because I, I realized, uh, you know, when, when you don't do something that you do, you normally do, uh, 
you, you're, you're really a little more appreciative. It was like the other day, uh, Tiger Woods at, at Augusta. I mean, he's smiling after shooting a 78. Uh, he knows the window is closing. And I, I think in, in our business, you don't know. I mean, I've seen so many people uh, you know, be affected by COVID, be affected by other things, uh, not, not have, I'm not suggesting that, uh, tomorrow this ends, uh, but you, you do, you do, I think, appreciate it a little bit more when you're suddenly out of commission publicly for about a year and a half. I think Kirby was different coming off of the COVID season. And I don't know how much COVID in particular and just the way that it kind of played out, the fact that they finished so well, that impacted him. But we saw it at SEC media days where Kirby was just kind of like a different version of himself. He was very confident. He was decisive about kind of controversial topics as, as it related to NIL, as it related to, to COVID and vaccines and all these different things. And, he, and you're kind of like, wow, this is a guy who feels like he's really confident in his team. And of course, he ends up winning a national championship. I think that Kirby has surpassed Dabo as the number two coach in the sport, which th that's going to sound to some like a prisoner of the moment thing. But uh, my buddy Candler pointed this out to me, and this is from UGA Hoops Mafia. Kirby is 7-0 and against Dabo, Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, Luke Fickle, and Jim Harbaugh. Like Kirby's biggest shortcoming was obviously Saban, but I don't know if we fully realized how much that Kirby's shortcomings were just Saban-based, and he had done actually really well against elite coaches is Kirby the number two coach in the sport for you right now? Yes. Uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, I agree with what you've said. And Kirby's always been a little different. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess because I knew him pretty well as an assistant, he was always one who, uh, who, who didn't mince words. He knew what he was. He, he knew he had a big future ahead. He just knew it was a matter of time and, and a matter of choice. Uh, you know, where do I go? Do I take this job? Do I take that job? And he was very patient, and the history uh, shows he made a great choice. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I mean, every every safe and disciple uh, has a story, and and has it's like you know, the, I mean, I've been around these guys, you've been around them. And when they start talking about the quote unquote the old man, uh, you know, some like him more than others. Some have had more difficult. I mean, Jimbo is really. Uh, I mean, he's, Jimbo reminds me, he's, I, I don't mean to get into this, but he's, he's almost like Jimbo's from Saban's first, first marriage. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. He's a so far in the past where Kirby's, uh, you know, Kirby, you know, Kirby's been there for such a long time. And I, and I realize a lot of these guys were also at LSU, but you know, the LSU guys were, were Derek Dewey, Kirby, uh, even, you know, Muschamp a little bit. Uh, Kirby's more of the, the latter day. Uh, uh, he's, he's with a marriage that lasted. I don't think I've never heard. I've never heard you say that. That's <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to use that for comments. From the, the, I'm trying the out. Listen, the, the, I look at this. This is a coming on your podcast is, is like, is like comedians going to Hartford to try out some, <laughs> some new material. And uh, I mean, this to me is uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying this stuff as we go along. You could do stand up. You definitely could. You know, I I know I'm digressing here. Uh, I, I'm, I am fascinated by comedians because they, you know, going out there for 15, 20 minutes and you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And it, I've never I, I had somebody approach me a couple of years ago about a tour and I, I just could not I could not bite the bullet. Uh, it was to me, it was just too. Uh, I didn't like charging people uh, to be. Mm. I, I, and when they told me what it was going to cost, I, I can't I can't charge uh, you know, 
fans of ours, uh, that kind of money. And, but I would like to try it one time. So what you're saying is we should not be holding out hope or at hope somewhere, but we should not be anticipating a Paul Feinbaum. This is why I'm going to the athletic piece. That's going to come out soon. And then we're going to find out that you're going on like some like 20 city tour and you're going to have like a paywall <laughs> to it. It's going to be streamed live on the, no, it's funny. Uh, Laura Rutledge and I are doing an event uh, next week. And we, this all, I know that we're getting way into uh, stuff here, but um, we used to, on Friday night, when we were on SEC Nation, the first couple of years, we would end up, you know, the athletic director would have you at a party or, I mean, that was kind of something we, we, we ended up doing a lot. And we would find ourselves in the kitchen, just kind of going off each other, like, you know, like, like a, uh, you know, like a, a, a comedic uh, duo. And we, we always joked about doing it. So we're going to, the, the event is not really intended for it to be a comedy sh- show, but uh, knowing Laura, I will get there on a Thursday afternoon and have not spoken to her. So we will walk in cold. So uh, it may end up that way. If it were, I, th- I think I would rather do it with somebody. I think she would be the perfect person to do it with. Yeah. She sets you up in a way that um, I don't know that the, the audience like truly understands yeah. it. For those who have been watching SEC network for the last like, four or five years. And they remember watching those specific shows where Laura was regularly coming in. I mean, that's not given that you have that kind of chemistry no. with someone. Like I always think if you were ever going to do kind of a one-off like that, and you obviously do uh, great work with, with, with my guy, Matt Barry, you know, recording uh, college, you know, college football sure. podcast content as well on Sundays. And like, you're able to do a lot of different things with this, but at the same time, like if you were ever going to have like something like that, that was separate from the Paul Feinbaum show, I feel like you and Laura kind of just going off of whatever you guys wanted to talk about would be a great place to start. Yeah. I, uh, it, it, you know, the, I, I can't remember uh, what year it was. I mean, she would, I didn't realize it for, I thought she lived in Charlotte, but she, she like had an apartment here, which, uh, but she, she would travel up here every Tuesday uh, and do our show. And she knew what she was doing at the end of that season to get to go back to her. Uh, it was at the, uh, it was a national championship game. I was having lunch with one of the top ESPN executives at the time. I said at the time, because those guys come and go. Um, and, <laughs> and she, she, he told me, he said, I have to be honest. He said, I, this guy was works in New York. He said, I'd never heard of her before. Uh, all of a sudden, I started seeing her in your show. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a revelatory moment. And the next thing you know, <laughs> she's gone. I mean, she's off and running to every imaginable. Uh, they, they hired her right after that to do uh, Get Up with uh, Mike Greenberg and then uh, ultimately to NFL Live. Uh, but, you know, w- every, every week we would sit there. And, I mean, a lot of people, you know, you know thought it was silly. But it, it really was. It, it was two people just trying each other out. I mean, and the age difference is, you know, is gargantuan. But we we just had a natural chemistry, and we we hung out so much together that year, driving to, you know, from Athens to Atlanta or from, uh, you know, Houston to College Station that we really did develop that repertoire. It was almost like, and you know, you bring up the age difference. I didn't bring this up, like a, a daughter fun dad yeah. type of relationship. Oh, sure. And, and I, I think people like that. Like, uh, a little eerie, but I mean, I, if you know, if you know, R, and I know you do, uh, I mean, it was just comical to, uh, for anyone to suggest that, it, it, you know, we weren't anything other than like, you know, uh, any, 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 
any combination you want to put, uh, you know, father, daughter, uh, uncle, niece, uh, you know, long lost, whatever. Um, but we really did have that. And, and, it, and uh, yeah, it's, it's harder to see that on uh, you know, the SEC Nation show with so many other uh, needy dogs to, to get their airtime. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, the Friday, we, 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 we still convene every Friday afternoon for a, a segment that she just got through with her show. We have no idea what we're going to talk about. And, and the, the last thing I want to do is say, well, Laura, we're sitting here in uh, Columbia and uh, we got South Carolina hosting Kentucky tomorrow. You know, what do you think about the quarterback situation? Yeah, that's and I think it's those who have come to appreciate like just the personalities involved with SEC Network have really understood kind of that dynamic, that give and take that you guys have. Um, OK, well, we can get back to actual actual football stuff. if You're you going to ask me about the, the quarterback situation in Kentucky, aren't you? I know you are. I mean, we actually don't have to this year. That's kind of the weird thing is that Kentucky has a guy. Yeah. Will Levis is kind of like the dude and Mark Stoops loves being able to have that. Um, Georgia. The repeat question always gets asked. We talk about it so much in sports. And, you know, I think in college football, the reason why we don't see it in some ways is because of how long that offseason. I know that's a swear in college football terms these days, but the offseason being eight months and hearing about repeat, repeat, repeat and how that that offseason lasts longer. And it's almost more difficult being 18 to 22 year olds, how difficult that journey can be. What, what chance do you give Georgia to be able to, to repeat and get that done this year? Uh, a very small, very, very small number. Uh, I just don't think it's possible. Um, there we go with a headline, but uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just being real. Uh, I think they're, they'll be very good. Um, and the Stetson Bennett conversation is, I think, will carry us for a long time. But, you know, there's just so many missing parts. I, I feel like I'm watching one of these Alabama teams uh, of any year, to, you know, pick your pick your poison. And go, wow, they're they're really good. They're a top five team, but they've lost too much. That would be it's a compliment in a way. Uh, I think they're they'll, they'll be in transition. That doesn't mean that they can't be uh, you know, hitting on all cylinders. The the issue then becomes well, who's going to beat them. Uh, the schedule is, is much, I think, better than last year. Except I, I do see some road games late that could always be a little tricky. I think there's a Mississippi State road game. That sounds so weird, doesn't it? I Are you I'm falling in love that. with Mississippi State? Is, is yeah, I mean Georgia at Mississippi State is like that is not a game you ever think about. And I know, I know, we saw one a couple of years ago with Dan Mullen. Uh, that was a big game on on Saturday night. Uh, but but I think the Kentucky game is obvious that that you have to say that's a dangerous game. And and then ultimately with Alabama, even if they run the table, which they could, uh, I, I suspect Alabama will be too much. Um, Dabo sort of went viral over the weekend for his portal stance. It was the Chris Lowe story. Uh, that's, that's just kind of par for the course uh, with Dabo. But I already kind of teed off on Dabo and his refusal to, to really understand the significance of the portal, the urgency of it, and looking at the top tier of the sport and how that's been able to – how it, these teams at the top have been able to utilize it in the last couple of years now with all these guys getting immediate eligibility – um, what do you think the next five years look like for Dabo at Clemson? Because I think they look a lot different than 2015, 2020, or yeah, yeah. that, that, that I, whole I, six-year I, stretch. I will give him a credit. Uh, he turned a terrible year in, into really one that, when you look back, wasn't that bad. I'll, I'll spare you the well. That's one of the best coaching jobs Dabo's ever had. Yeah, I'll say that. Come on, 
Uh, I, I don't I don't buy that because he's the one that uh, tutored the quarterback. Um, I just think he yeah the biggest the departures were in the coaching staff. I mean you just can't lose that type of firepower uh, when they've been there so long. I mean yes Saban loses that every year, but he's got a he's got a he's got a room next door that, that has a bunch of ex head coaches in there that he's preparing. Uh, Dabo doesn't. Uh, you know, the league is still his friend, but. I, I I see I see a, a a lessened Clemson in the future. I mean that I think they're they're a Final Four team on occasion, but uh, that run is over. Uh, you talked yourself out of Dabo being Saban's successor. Um, I'm interested to kind of see where you where you stand on that because I think if we had asked this question six months ago, we'd be talking about Mario Cristobal. Now he goes to Miami, his yeah. alma mater, so that's different. I think Lane and Napier would probably be my two picks. Like I would take those two and then give anybody the field. Where do you, where do you see that potentially playing out? Who's the name that you yeah, think? It, it's, it's interesting because if you go back through time uh, three years ago, maybe, maybe longer, uh, Jeremy Pruitt may have been the best choice. Uh, that's, that shows you how crazy this Saban game is. Uh, I think I think I think Napier would, if he has success, uh, is a really interesting choice because you know he is in, in many he he looks like Nick Saban, he has all the characteristics. Lane is always a wild card. Uh, you know, if Lane can sustain success, I, I think that puts him in contention. But you're right about Cristobal; they love Cristobal in Tuscaloosa. But at some point, you just can't keep bouncing around. You can't go from Oregon, which is a premier job to Miami, your alma mater, and then expect them to leave again. That, that's hard to follow. So I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I, I don't think Dabo is really on that list any longer. Four or five years ago, I would have thought so. But there, there's a little bit of friction between uh, not, not Dabo and, and Nick, but just Alabama people. I think they got tired of hearing about Dabo a couple of years ago. I think everybody's um, gotten tired of hearing about Dabo. Yeah. And I don't want to say Dabo. Dabo's a Dabo played for for Gene Stallings, as great as he was. Uh, that's not exactly playing for Bryant or Saban. Uh, he, he's I mean, he was he's a Bryant protege, but uh, th- th- that period, as good as it was, doesn't carry a lot of weight with the power brokers right now. I think Alabama is going to be the second unanimous preseason number one in AP poll history. The first of which was 2015 Ohio state. Um, What's kind of crazy the last 15 years, I'm going to have to save this one for your show as well. So like, we'll, we'll we'll put a pin in this one. I'll bring this up again. So you can kind of get the clicks, get the headlines for it. Um, Last 15 years, that's the entire saving era. The preseason AP number one team only won it all once. And that was 2017 Alabama on a scale of one to 10 rate the likelihood of this scenario with one being no chance and then 10 being yes, etched in stone. Saban wins a title, walks off. I couldn't go too high on that, uh, Connor, because he is very unpredictable. But uh, again, I'm going to give you a long answer before we get to the, uh, <laughs> the money question. I do sense Saban is weary of the off the field issues in college football. I didn't say he's worried of the game. I think he loves that. Uh, I, I feel very comfortable saying that uh, he does not like what's going on. And I, I, I know that you, you get him sitting in this position a week from now and he'll tell you, 
Uh, I think the I think NIL is great for the players, and uh, but he hates the portal uh, because when you build what he has built, and you can have it ripped apart it, it, while while you're flying somewhere to to, to meet a recruit, it, it's it's pretty frustrating. I mean, he has built an NFL franchise, and he's starting to have trouble uh, with discipline. I, I don't mean that in a big macro way, but you, know, you saw Billingsley last year. You saw the wide receiver this year, uh, you know, a lot of these young guys just don't really care. They don't care if it's Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, or Kirby Smart. They're looking for the money, and good for them. But so I, I, I think what you've laid out here is a more likely than maybe two years ago or, or four years ago. Every time he's won a title, uh, we some of us have thought he was going to leave. I, I think four different times ESPN has, uh, has asked me to write an essay uh, on his career. Uh, in the event that he walks away, uh, I, I'm not writing another one. I know it sounds like I'm a spoiled brat, but just run the last one. Um, you have it saved to drafts. Uh, there, there, it's um, yeah, uh, it's somewhere. <laughs> it, it's really, it's kind of like Wright Thompson talking about Tiger at Amen Corner. I mean, what right. all you do is add the, and then finally tonight he did it again and walked away. Yeah, whatever. But uh, I, I think he's. He's got to think about it. Uh, you know, at, at his age, uh, he he knows that. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think the I think Saban would have walked away earlier if if he really had a had an idea of what he wanted to do next. Saban just cannot walk away and and, and sit. I, I've had uh, Steve Spurrier tell me this. I've had Philip Fulmer tell me this. Two national championship winning coaches. Neither one of them knew what they knew what to do the next day after they were retired. And I, that goes for a lot of people. I mean, it could go for your your, your you know, friends, cousins, relatives, grandfathers. Uh, it, it's not the easiest thing to do, to know, okay, on, on, on but you know, with, with him, it, it would seemingly be easier. But I think if you said, okay, uh, Nick, I want you to be vice president of player personnel for the New York Giants. I'm going to pay you $3 million a year. I'm going to give you 0.1% of the, of the team. You know, would that interest him? But he'd have to look at that before he said no. I'm not sure he'd be interested, but he's just certainly not going to be interested in going to work for ESPN. Uh, I mean, I, that that's not something that I think excites him. Uh, you know, he might do it, but because a lot of people do it, because you know, why? Why do players and coaches go to work? I mean, there's a. I mean, Ed Ogeron's trying to get a job right now, um, because it seems like the next progression. But that's not really. I mean, yeah, Nick Saban and Tom Brady, I think, had the same problem. I mean, Brady didn't know what to do the next day. So what did he do? I'll go back. Okay. So I've given you a really long answer. I'm not even sure I've answered your question, which I, I, I've rather enjoyed not doing, considering that happens to me almost every time I interview you. I just, in, in, in that answer, all the things that you said about Saban, my two takeaways were, one, you compared yourself to Wright Thompson, which, hey, look, if I could, if I could casually compare myself to Wright Thompson, I think I would too. I don't fault you for that. Two, I think you just subtly added in there that Ed Odron is trying to get a job at ESPN and just kind of threw that in there without anybody really kind of knowing that. We just see the viral videos of him staring down dudes on spring break. But you bring up a good point about it, and it's like if he doesn't have that plan in place, then what? Like you, you need to have that figured out. Everybody says, "Oh, he would just become a grandparent." It's like, well, he's doing that now. He's doing that as he's coaching, so that's not really yeah. like the plan. Now, he is wired differently than literally any coach I've ever been around. That doesn't mean that somebody is not going to be like him. But uh, I covered Deanda Bryant uh, 
these two are not the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I sat in Paul Bryant's office, uh, you know, not long before he retired. He was an old guy. Now, again, I was 25 years old. Uh, 40 looked old at the time. Um, and, and maybe to 25-year-olds, Saban looks old. But, but he really doesn't. You know that. He's, I mean, he may have slowed down a little bit. I mean, he may not uh, ha, you know, have all the, the, the serial killer tendencies that maybe he did 10 years ago. Um, but, but he's still the best. Um, and th- I think that's, th- to me, that's what, I, and I, I always believed he was going to try to walk away, match the wind and get out. But I don't think he's really uh, as concerned about that because why does he need to be uh, yeah. when you've done what he's done? Uh, I think he's still competitive. Uh, you know, he, he's still got all the things, but, but I, I don't think he's changed. I think the game is around him has changed and that's what you need to keep your eye on. How does he react? I expect Saban, uh, to, to do something similar to what Dabo did the other day. I, I expect any time from here on for Nick Saban to explode on, on the transfer portal. It's just, you know, my gut feeling, knowing a little bit about him that, that he is seething right now. We'll set it at a six then to answer the question. Be a six out of 10, most likely to have that, that scenario play out where he walks yeah, out. I think that's fair. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lincoln Riley. <laughs> I figure uh, they, they always tell me this. You don't want to answer the question. Just talk as long as you can. And maybe they'll forget what the question was. Best way to do it. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Just don't, don't ever say anything of relevance. Just keep on going. And eventually people will be satisfied and move on to the next thing. Um, Lincoln Riley. Brian Kelly, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, the first to win a national title of that group will be who? I think it'll be Lincoln Riley. Uh, I, I know everyone wants to try to downplay the talent, but to me, he's got uh, a re- reasonably easy path in terms of the Pac-12. Uh, essentially, he just has to get by the first game in the playoff and take his, ch- take his shot against Alabama, Georgia, or, or, some, or Ohio State. I think from a recruiting standpoint, uh, he is going to be in great shape. And, and some of the other guys, I mean, Cristobal is, is recruiting really well, too. But I just uh, I just think Lincoln Riley is, is, is the name uh, to attract players. Uh, another multiple choice for you. And we'll, we'll keep this one all in the SEC. If all of their stock, stock prices were exactly equal and you had a chance to just buy shares right now, who would you have the most shares of between Sam Pittman, Mark Stoops, Mike Leach, Josh Heupel? I would probably go with Sam Pittman. Uh, it may not, uh, you know, be the most, you know, it's what your grandfather might have described as more of a dividend stock where it does maybe goes up five or 10%, but you get that, that choice dividend check three to four times a year. I think Hypo has a chance to break out of that group. Um, but I just really like what Pittman's doing. I think overall, it's just a solid program that may not break out to that 11 or 12 win season, but, you know, eight, nine, 10, maybe one year he catches a break uh, at, uh, at with Alabama at home or something like that. So uh, I would bet on him long-term. Have you uh, made nice with Mississippi state fans? I, I think I got you in trouble last year for, uh, for saying the the leech wasn't a top 15 coach and how very few people in the community knew who Mike Leach was. Have you kind of like, uh, let bygones be bygones and kind of uh, amended that, so to speak? No. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, 
I've been underwhelmed by Mike Leach uh, at Mississippi State. I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, I mean, you tell me uh, otherwise. To me, he's he came in there with all the hype in the world, and you know, he's lost the two biggest games he's had uh, against Lane Kiffin. That's how you are defined in that state. And I think it's been very inconsistent and erratic at times. And I know fans down there love Mike Leach, but uh, he's going to have to show me more uh, than he has. We should be talking about the contract stuff too. I brought that up on a, on a recent podcast, state contracts in Mississippi, four years, still waiting on that extension to come. He's got two years left in the deal. Kind of thought it would be a little bit different if they could have just won one of those last two games, but Something to put a pin in. I might just have to. I might just have to bring that up on your show and see what Mississippi State fans think about that. Yeah, and and I I appreciate the fan base there. They they like to get mad at people. Um, but uh, I I'm still waiting for that moment. Uh, I mean, Mike Leach peaked on day one as a head coach in Mississippi State when when he when he upset LSU. We all got we all went crazy. Oh man, what a hire! What's he done since? How could you not go crazy? <laughs> I mean, they set the right. Yeah, no, 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 I, I just don't think. I, I think at the end we didn't realize how bad the LSU program was about to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. So speaking of that, you have SEC coaches on your show all the time, and your producers will usually kind of like hook them up. You guys do the timed interviews and stuff like that. A little peel behind the onion here that doesn't always go off live, like during the heat of the show. Like they'll do that stuff beforehand, but um, it doesn't have to be a current SEC head coach, but it can be, I guess. Is there an interaction you've had with um, like before a taped interview? that was just all time where it was just awkward. They kind of confronted you about something that you said, like somebody chewing you out or something like that. Yeah, it, it has happened. Uh, Hugh Freeze used to be like that. Now I really like him. Uh, you know, we're friends, but uh, we had him on uh, right in the middle of that investigation Ooh. and and he was pretty belligerent uh, about it. Um, but, but the one thing about him, you, you never saw that on the air. Um, I had an interview with uh, a, an athletic director over your guy, Joe Moorhead, of all oh, things. Uh, we were live in uh, Starkville about whatever year he was uh, shown the door. And I was, I just thought, look, I, I mean, I, I appreciated him coming on, but I asked him directly. I said, there's a lot of speculation about your future. There's a job opening at Rutgers, your name. And, you know, oh, I love it, Mississippi State. Uh, I mean, I, I said, come on. I mean, I, I just, you know, finally said enough of the BS. But, and, uh, and then Cone came on uh, right after that and was just, uh, I remember you know, he wanted, uh, Cone's father was uh, a law professor at Alabama. And I think he just wanted to show me how much about the law he knew. And he, he just said, you know, you guys that ask all these unsubstantiated questions. I, I mean, I, I finally lost it with the guy. I and mean, we, we met up. But I mean, it was, he really, you know better, but occasionally it, it does happen. I mean, I had that incident that you you remember with with Nick Saban in 2015. Um, a lot of people uh, read too much into that. It just so happened that it was in front of everyone in the media room, uh, and you could hear it. Uh, and as it was going on, I think everyone kind of moved closer. Uh, it was tense, uh, and it continued afterwards while somebody was rolling live on it on their phone. Uh, but I, I didn't let that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, he called me at, later that day. I saw him the next week. A lot of people thought that carried over. It didn't. Uh, I mean, I just knew, I mean, I, I knew, listen, big secret. I knew, he, I knew he was going to get upset. And the reason I knew he was going to get upset is he, number one, he didn't answer the question. I asked him again. He lost his call. He decided to preach about how 
uh, and he wanted to stand up for his players. And then I committed the, the cardinal sin of all time. I interrupted Nick Saban a second time. And that, if, if you had said to me in my ear, okay, uh, can I put down a hundred bucks on this thing blowing up? I would, I would say, go ahead. Yes. Uh, it, it, was, it was lighting a match on, 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 a, on a boy. I mean, it was already, it was already burning that blew it up. And I, I what, what was surprising is I think the, the, the reaction I got um, from, I got, I got texts from people all over the industry, Colin Cowherd texting me, uh, Stephen A. Smith, all these guys, man, way to go. That time somebody, uh, you know, stood up uh, to the bully, but the people around me were like, what did you just do? I mean, <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, I was a pariah at the SEC uh, among the uh, the insiders there because I, I had just I had just upstaged media days, and it was uh, it was you're not supposed to do that, uh, especially when you work at the SEC network. But I, I it was not I, I was it wasn't planned. The only reason I even asked him because he had not answered the, the I think uh, Dari Noka had asked him over there for the first question, and he just you know subterfuge. I'm like going, come on, we got to get it. I mean, he just sat up there in front of the media and, and talked about the left tackle, never got the, never got the question about the player, whether he just suspe- suspended or not. What I didn't realize, Connor, and you may have been upstairs, is Saban always has some national guys uh, upstairs before, the, before he speaks. And I was, in, I was supposed to go up, but I ended up having to do another interview, so I didn't make it up. He talked about it up there, and in his mind, and he, you know, he just assumed maybe I was in there, uh, why was I doing that when I, when I when he had already explained it in in Nick Saban ease? I kind of feel like you ruined SEC media days though because of that. You have set the bar too high. We always think we're going to get this explosive viral moment, yeah. and then everybody kind of looks back on the four days and be like, "Oh yeah, it was actually pretty calm." It's like so you're basically saying we didn't have a fine bomb Saban blow up. That's the only reason that you're saying something like this, even though there's newsworthy stuff that happens from SEC media days. But until you have another moment like that, I mean, I think, you know, SEC yeah. media days is just, just, we, we should just expect it to be quiet. Yeah. And, and then the next year, you know, all, all my bosses go, you're not going to do that again. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't do anything the first time. I mean, everyone was like, should we, I, I thought I might get uninvited to SEC media days. Um, God. There's only one event that's ever been bigger than that. Uh, and it really wasn't bigger, but it, was, it got more viral. Uh, for, uh, in 2011, the year after, I don't know if you were there. You, you, you may have still been in uh, high school. I was in college, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, it was right after Cam Newton in Auburn. And Danny Sheridan was on our show. You probably heard about this. And I, I asked him just a kind of a throwaway question. I said, well, Danny, before we get to you know, making some predictions, this was only on radio. He, I said, "What's the you know? What do you know about Cam Newton and, and Auburn?" He said, "Well, you know, I know for a fact that uh, you know, Auburn used a bag man and you know, gave Cam Newton three hundred. What I don't remember what the number was. And all of a sudden, uh, Twitter is exploding. The Danny Sh- Sheridan accuses Auburn of, of buying Cam Newton through a bag man, and he said, "I know who the bag man is, and I'm going to identify him." And five minutes into it, I'm I'm like going. We got the we got the story of the of the. This is day one, by the way. This isn't like the third day. And he he finally looked at me. He goes, "Are we going to talk about the SEC East and West?" I'm like, "Going? Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> he didn't even think about it. And then, of course, that story finally calmed down. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as important because it wasn't live on television and it wasn't Nick Saban. 
but it was it was the, the you know the, that moment and and obviously the, the Saban moment and, and the Phil Fulmer being subpoenaed moment or whatever moment it was. But so but yeah, you know, it's hard to it's hard to top what what happened a couple of years ago. One last one before some rapid fire. Uh, have you tried to get Harbaugh on the show yet? No, uh, should I think that's I think that relationship is over. Um, <laughs> you, you probably you probably heard me say that uh, uh, the dearly departed coach at, uh, at Georgia, Tom Crean, attempted to uh, to bring us together a couple of years ago. Tom's his brother-in-law, for those who don't know. And we had uh, he called me one day on the, on our show or in, the, in the middle of the show. I'd run into a meet at, at SEC spring meetings in Destin and Crean said, I'm getting you guys together. Will you do it? I said, I'll do it. He calls me at like 4.15 in the afternoon, probably interviewing you, something really important. Uh, and uh, I should have just taken the call. I should have said, I got to go to a break. And it was Crean calling with Jim Harbaugh. He was at, he was at Harbaugh's parents' house for the, for the our birthday party of Harbaugh's dad. And he said, Jim, Jim he, he said, I'm, I'm sitting here with Jim. Call me back immediately. Jim wants to invite you to come up next week and play golf and, you know, go to a charity event. And had we done it, it would have been really cool. I, I was heading to Hollywood the next uh week uh, uh, for this uh, sitcom project that you've heard about. And I couldn't break. I mean, I I couldn't, I couldn't say no. Uh, I had to, I couldn't say no to that. It it had taken too long to get to that point. So anyway, uh, uh, Harbaugh's not coming on anytime soon. I know that (laughs) gave you a long answer. Was he, was he upset that you had to go to Hollywood to do this sitcom thing that you couldn't come up to, to Michigan and play golf with him? Uh, no, but he, uh, but I think that was the moment that had we sat down together, had we hung out together, Crean maintained we would have liked each other. I maintain we wouldn't have. I have interviewed Harbaugh before. Um, there's nothing to like about him. It's not like, you know, you're going to spend uh, four hours in a golf cart with him and go uh, drink a couple of Bud Lights and have some burgers and come with, come away with a different opinion of Jim Harbaugh. My opinion is the same. All right. Well, when it happens, because eventually I think it will happen. Somebody will unite you too. And it, we just need to get it on camera. It'll be great. And the world will, that, that's the type of content we need in July. All right. We need that. Like, no, you're, you're, up to you're 100%, 100% correct. All right. Let's get you out of here with some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work? You got it. All right. Uh, what's your favorite non-sports show that you're watching right now? Non-sports show? I've actually started watching, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a detective fan. I started watching this show Bosch on uh, Amazon. Okay, which uh, it's it's in the seventh year. I just caught up to it, uh, but but it's uh, it's really a pretty interesting show. It's about a police detective in L.A. True crime podcast. You listen to him? Yeah, uh, I, I mean it's 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 a it's a real it's it's a it's a serial. I mean it's not true crime, but yeah, yeah, yeah but but it's uh, um, but that's probably my my latest. Uh, Jimbo Fisher will win a national title at Texas A&M, true or false? I'm going to say true. Uh, I, I mean, I think he's got to re- – I mean, it may not be pretty until till he does it, but I think he will win one. Does Brian Harson get a year three at Auburn? No, I don't think he does. Uh, you go everywhere, but uh, what's number one on your, your travel bucket list right now? Place I have uh, – okay, I've been or haven't been? Place you haven't been that you want to go to? Uh, I've been almost everywhere. Uh, by the way, I have not been to Michigan for a game. <laughs> you need to I go to Michigan. Michigan. You need to be Harbaugh's guest at a game at yeah. Michigan. That's the scene right uh, there. Like you're I've been almost Michigan everywhere, hat. but I have not been to Michigan. So Michigan is going to be my, my, my locale. <laughs>
All right. Last one. Uh, say something nice about Purdue so that they don't think that you just kind of hate them after the, the Music City Bowl. Purdue? Yeah. They got a big drum. That's I have nothing to say about them. Uh, they're, uh, they lost the, they lost the Music City Bowl to Tennessee and uh, it's a loser program. I mean, what do you want me to say? They can't, I mean, they can't even beat Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. So I mean, push back up, on that. A beat up Tennessee team that uh, had no business beating them, but they did. Paul, that's, that, right, that's right, isn't it? I think I got that at the end of that I, game right there. I, mean, I, I turned. I was at. I was some. I was. I was in Dallas at the, at the CFP, and Tennessee won the game. I turned it off, and somebody told me that that wasn't the way it happened, but that's the way it happened in my mind. That's that's all that matters. Uh, nothing is a. What is what's the Costanza like? It's not a lie if you believe it. I mean, I mean Purdue. I've, I've been to Purdue. I mean, it's it's a. West Lafayette is someplace you go on the way to somewhere else. Like if you're in Chicago, you might drive by there on the way to Notre Dame or, or Bloomington, but you're not stopping there unless you're out of gas. You saying that West Lafayette is a place that you just drive to on your way to Bloomington as an Indiana grad was that that's like that's chef's kiss right there. Hearing, <laughs> hearing those words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> the only time I have been there, I, I was, I, and I, I don't know how we, I was going to South Bend and I'm not sure it's direct. You, you have, but we went, we drove off front of mine. We drove off to see it. I don't know how far off the beaten path it was. I, well, I know how far, far off the beaten path it is. It's about 50 years off the beaten path. <laughs> All right. Last, last thing, your background right now, for those who are watching this on YouTube and you absolutely should be um, you, it's you as Indiana Jones, who made that with all these SEC coaches around you? I'm, I'm guessing yeah, this is sort of like uh, that is a, uh, a portrait that was done about 10 years ago. The reason I know that is that in the portrait, and I'm not sure I can do it justice. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, Will Muschamp's in there at Florida, Derek Dewey, Spurrier, Saban, and I believe. You got Chizik in there. Yeah. Uh, Lane Kiffin. Uh, not Lane Kiffin, but uh, yeah, it's Saban. Saban Muschamp, Saban Dilly Muschamp, Miles Spurrier. No, that's Dilly. I'm not even sure. No, that's Chiswick. That's Chiswick. Saban, yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've already forgotten what Chiswick looks like. I haven't seen him in three months. That makes me sad. Don't don't say that. I'm looking forward to Chiswick as a coach, but I'm going to miss him in the SEC Network studios doing what he does. Um, Paul, this has been a lot of fun. Really, really appreciate the time. We'll talk soon, man. Connor, many thanks. It was fun, too. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we are talking about being sick as an adult. Um, Will, when you were dealing with COVID, you did not take off a show or anything like that. You could continue working from home. You just couldn't do anything on set, have the mild symptoms. At what point, though, during that process, which like two weeks, mm -hmm. were you just itching to get back to normal life and to not have the restrictions? Because it's it's a little bit different. If you got a cough or something like that, it's like, okay, you could probably like still go get groceries. But if you have COVID, you're, you're, you're really not leaving the house to do to do anything. Yeah, man, it was wild. So either, so I like, you know, got vaccines and everything so you could either sit on the line of these vaccines help me or i have the greatest immune system known to man either way i will take either bit of praise whatever but literally once my system figured out it was covid it literally i was just tired you know what i'm saying and you could kind of hear it on the podcast i was a little bit like spacey or whatever but i was never like 
you know, like it was never like getting the flu or something where I was like hold up in bed. I was just very tired. But yeah, to answer your question, man, like that first week was actually like kind of rad to be honest, just because like I had already gotten over it, like in terms of the bad part of it. Everyone at my work knew I had it, so they were being really nice and polite. I got to that weekend and I was like, sweet, I can just put in a Costco order that gets delivered, get a bunch of Gatorade, get a bunch of like, you know what I'm saying, watch some movies. I called all the way up on Atlanta. Pretty much that next, like, I'm gonna say like Tuesday or Wednesday, I was like, all right, dude, <laughs> let's try yeah. to, cause then like once people, <laughs> literally bro, especially like people's sympathy running out and just being like, so what do you, like, what's up? Like, that's yeah. the worst. It's like, all right, dude, like I obviously can't go. Cause the thing is I was fully like contagious, but I just wasn't feeling anything. So it's like, trust me, dude. Like if I could go out, I would. I just don't want to infect somebody's grandma and create a whole situation out here in the public. So like, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be nice to you by not doing things. And people are just have no patience for it, man. I don't know. You definitely hit the point where I texted you and I said something to the effect of, wait, you're still testing positive? Like, See, Connor's so this guy. I just want to let y'all know. He's the guy who's like, hey, you're not, not, not putting up one, not putting up 225 on the bench this week? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was last week. I thought you were over it, man. Like, come on. Uh, it is easy to take health for granted. And it's mm -hmm. like when you go through something like that, I'm sure right now you appreciate everyday life of being healthy and being able to go get something when you need it and not having to think about that and all the hoops you gotta jump through now. Um, even though obviously being sick now is way different than it was 10 years ago when if you're mm -hmm. home from sick, you're watching Price is Right. Oh, now yeah. you have Netflix, you have Hulu, you have HBO Max. Like you, you can stream, you know, whatever you want and it's just a different sort of situation. But I, I, I do think it, it still hits a certain point where you're like, I, I need things to be normal again. And I, look, I, I take my health for granted probably too much. I. I think I, I am, as I'm saying this, I'm not fully appreciating the, the freedom I have as a healthy American, but I do think that it's kind of changed a little bit where some people now are in this place where you can be sick and you can still be at home working and you're still asked to do the exact same thing. It's not this shutdown in the way that it once was, where if you're working in an office setting and you're sick, it's like, all right, you're just gonna go home. We're not gonna expect anything from you. Now the expectations are still there. And even if you're in school and you have virtual learning or something like that, you can be sick and still be asked from teachers, hey, you still have to do this, this, and this, and all those different things at home because we have that set up. Um, when was the last time that you were homesick and you missed work because you were working throughout these two weeks? Good question. Got to be like 2019, right? Yeah. Gosh. And it feels like as a kid, you just deal with that a lot more than oh, you're yeah, probably dude. exposed to a lot more. There was nothing better than being in, you know what I'm saying, high school and waking up on a Monday or a Friday and not feeling bad. And just like, I remember like, I just had a memory unlock when you said that. It's like, I would be watching first take and like text my buddies, like the takes that were coming through, like at the lunch table and be like, yo, did you hear what they said about LeBron? No, you're at school. Let me fill you in really quick, bro. <laughs> You lived in a different era of being home from school than I did. <laughs> Very, dude, generations are like three years long now, dude. It's crazy, like, between me and you, between me and Brady, who's three years younger than me, like, how different our growing up experiences were, it's insane. Yeah, definitely, I, I have a couple of memories of being homesick, like, during the time of March Madness, where I was actually oh, yeah. sick. And I had to be home and I was watching basketball and just kind of worked out. But I, that was, like, before I really got into college basketball. Mm -hmm. and. Definitely appreciated that and probably appreciated the tournament a lot more um, as, a result, as a result of being able to like just be at home. I think the last, yeah, the last time that I missed work for being sick was August of 2015. And I'm pretty sure I, actually, you know what? I don't know. 
I might have shared this story on our airwaves, um, but this is the last time that I, I missed work for being sick. Like I, I could not physically, physically, you know, put in whatever sort of articles or whatever that I was asked to do. Um, and it was pretty significant. So quick story, August, 2015, three weeks into this job with this company where I was running Saturday tradition, our big 10 site, I wasn't doing anything SDS related yet, but I was big doing all of our content. We all remember him. Yes, he existed very much so, but I, I did all of our content. I was a one man band on that site. Um, we had to fly back to Indiana for our engagement photos. We had the appointment set up for months, like well before I ever got this job in college football and Lauren was still back in Nebraska. So we figured we'd do these photos in Indiana, back on campus in Bloomington. And we just knock out a bunch of these other wedding appointments that we had while we were there. So because once you go was, to you know, Indianapolis, you're, you're a man about town. You got places to be, people to see in that city. We do. Uh, yeah, all of our duties were in Bloomington, though. So, like, we, we, you know, what we still had, a, we had a lot to do. We, okay. It was a, a very like jam-packed trip in terms of vendors that we had to see. Anybody who's planned a wedding like knows what I'm talking about. The amount of people that that you have to like be able to meet with and and just kind of make sure you're on the same page with, especially when you're doing an out-of-town wedding mm -hmm. and you don't get those opportunities all the time. This is also before like Zoom was everywhere and everybody just did stuff like that. We obviously could have probably done that, but mm -hmm. whatever, we were doing in-person stuff. So we have this day full of appointments. We met with our day of coordinator. We met with our officiant. We had wedding cake tastings lined up. We saw our venue, like the whole deal. We had lunch that day uh, in between all of our appointments in Bloomington. And just for a little bit of perspective here, Bloomington's about like 45, 50 minutes from where um, Lauren's family lived on the south side of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're not exactly at a place where we have a home base here. Um, we went to Noodles and Company that day for lunch. And I made the mistake of getting a shrimp dish. Oh. I didn't even like- See, that was back I, when I you were Big Ten Connor and you trusted seafood from the north. No longer. <laughs> Look, I've had the shrimp cocktail. I, diff, different setting, okay? Mm -hmm. Say no, a little bit different story here, but noodles and company in Bloomington, I, I can definitively say I will not be having that shrimp ever again in my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, very minimal trips to noodles and company since then. But I didn't even process what I was getting because we were so busy that day. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like I just want something kind of light, nothing too filling or anything. So after lunch, we meet with our officiant, then we meet with our day of coordinator after that. And by the end of this meeting with our day of coordinator, Lauren could sense that something was up with me because I am not talking. You, you know that feeling, like when you're starting to not feel great, like- You good, I'm, yeah, yeah, man, I'm fine, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm gonna shut down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of just be in my own world and put all my time and energy into to, to being a respectable human being in this setting. Right, like, yep. We're just, we're just trying to avoid embarrassment here at all costs. So I'm like starting to sweat a little bit. And then we go to the cake tasting. Buddy, I rallied. Like, <laughs> I was Dwight Schrute battling the appendicitis in Tallahassee. I was, I was fighting through it. I bit the bullet. I'm like, I am not going to fight the demons that are growing inside of me. I am going to, to eat this cake because you do not whiff on the chances to eat free cake. You yep. just don't. They, they come around so few times in life that we needed to be able to soak in that moment. Um, by the time we got out of there, I was like, this is not good, not great. Normally about a 50 minute drive from Bloomington to the south side of Indianapolis, like I was saying, 
I think it ended up being at least an hour and a half or so, but maybe at least double it felt like um, because of construction and whatnot. I'll, I'll spare the, the gross details here, but just know that there were not any major issues on the road. Could have been, thought maybe there could be, um, but there, there ultimately were not any sort of accidents related to that. When I walked into Lauren's parents' house, they did not see me for the next 14 hours. <laughs> 14 hours? <laughs> what did you do for 14 hours? It's a, it's, they actually have a really good setup uh, at, their, at their old house in Indy um, for the situation that I was in with my body essentially attempting to lose 20 pounds in one night. Mm-hmm. Um, the basement is where the guest bedroom is and it has its own bathroom and everything. So you just kind of like stay out of the, the basement and nobody can really hear you. You're not like sharing some bathroom on the second floor with them or anything <laughs> like that, which would have just been a nightmare scenario. I mean, we weren't married yet, we we're engaged, but that's still at a point where, you know, relationship is kind of delicate. Right, and yeah. People don't forget about stuff like that. And even as it played out, we can still bring that up and reference the way that everything kind of unfolded that day. So despite the fact of like the simple optics of being at your in-laws is probably the worst place to have food poisoning. It's one of them. Um, I I thought it could have been a lot worse. It could have been so, so much worse. We uh, we did our engagement photos the next day. Oh boy. (laughs) Believe it or not, it was it was like it was 14 hours of hell and then i was good and then i was good i was about to say you fit into your pants great i'm sure you would just lost all this excess <laughs> weight you were probably looking slim and trim you probably saw those photos and you were like you know what worth the worth the squeeze in one way yes i think i was down i was down at least 10 pounds for my normal weight a legit 10 pounds which look I, i'm five eight if i'm losing 10 pounds it's 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 like it's gonna show up it just kind of is right um but I had no color in my face whatsoever. If you look at our engagement photos, you're like, dude, it's it's like late August and you look pale as a ghost. Yeah. See, I had never noticed. I just thought you were that pale. So like really, <laughs> really you've, you've bamboozled everyone until the story. I thought you were having a great time. No, no, it was bad. Uh, th- those photos, looking back on them, I don't know if, I don't think I have any of them set up in my office. Um, no, I don't. But yeah, I was, I was, it was rough. It was really, really rough. But. I rallied and mm-hmm. we only missed one appointment while I was there and it was a cake tasting the next morning, which I said, you know what, even though I'm feeling better, it'd probably be better if Florence's mom went to this instead of me. So um, yeah, it was, it was rough. But anyways, getting back to the main subject here. <laughs> As I was experiencing food poisoning for the first time on my deathbed, I had to text my former boss, Drew, that mm-hmm. I could not do any sort of writing which at the time I was so worried about that because I was a one man band mm-hmm. writing on Saturday tradition, a lot of, a lot of pressure. If, if there's breaking news, I'm, I'm just missing it. It's, it's a couple weeks before the start of the season. The approach then with our site was just, you know, I had to crank out like a dozen stories a day. Yeah. We need to get this thing off the ground. You gotta go, go, go. And three weeks into a job is very, very different than like, the approach that I have now with right. SDS, where I could just text one person, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. We're, we're gonna call it off for the day. Um, but I, I, I wonder about this. Um, when you're in that spot, maybe food poisoning is kind of its own thing. You're not really, you're not seeking care. You, you want everybody to get away from you, right? You, I don't need somebody bringing me fluids or anything like that. The fluids aren't staying down. All right? right. Not to get too gross here. I don't need I don't need Gatorade at this point. I, I just need a bed and a, and a situation in which I can be in peace. 
Okay. I love this visual of you just being like the hunchback of Notre Dame, just in this little basement. And it's just you, a bed, and a bathroom, just fighting your demons until it's time to take these photos. Anybody who's ever had food poisoning knows that you hit this moment in which you say, how can there possibly be more? <laughs> I, I am a human being with no substance left in me. Right. How is this happening right now? Mm -hmm. that that moment is the absolute worst and then it just doesn't really go away but then just like that the next morning or you know however long it takes just kind of goes away okay so question for you before we get to the facebook questions are you a um in non-food poisoning scenarios mm -hmm. are you a please take care of me guy that's a good question that's something that i kind of like experienced almost for the first time because Brittany was also sick so she usually goes into work but i infected her and John as well, as I told you about. So she was there. We were kind of sick together. I think we actually, like, you know, did a good, like, you know, uh, a good wholesome couple job of, like, taking care of each other. Usually it's very, like, one person is sick, the other is taking care of them. But, but I think that, like, just kind of the way it went down, I think it was kind of cool because we were able to kind of just, like, figure out what we were both needing that day and get to the bottom of it. But I don't think I'll ever get back to where I was in high school and I was, like, calling my mom and being like, can you bring me soup? Yeah. Because it's like you're in a different place as, like, a man in a relationship or especially if some of y'all have kids and stuff. It's like you can't be you know, a big old baby like you could when you were with your mom because your mom's never going to judge you. But like, I know after about two or three days of that, Brittany would have been like, all right, dog, it's time for you to like fill out like some forms or do some work. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you, you have you have Uber Eats on your phone. Okay? Oh, yeah. I, I know that you can get any any food you want delivered to your doorstep. You don't need to to have me you know, getting you all all this stuff. Right. I think it goes probably a couple days. Anything more than that, that person who's taking care of you, unless you're like really, really in, in rough shape and dealing with a, a serious illness or something like that. But for the most part, I, I think you get like maybe two day, two to three days of that. And then it's kind of, right, you need to be able to kind of figure some things out yourself. Facebook group. We asked the questions, when was the last time you took a sick day for being legit sick? Depending on the sickness, do you just work from home? Do you have your significant other take care of you? What's the best thing to watch as an adult when you're home sick? And obviously all horror stories are welcome. I already took care of our first horror story of figuring out today. Okay, um, Matthew Sedro's got a horror story for us. He says, the most recent time I got sick was on my honeymoon. My wife and I both unknowingly got COVID at our wedding and arrived at the honeymoon feeling great. We woke up our first full day to go skiing and felt like we were hit by a train. The whole trip was spent managing symptoms with heavy doses of whatever cold meds we could find and trying to get as much skiing in as we could physically handle. We then made our way home and spent Christmas and the many days after cooped up in the house with my family until we felt better. COVID on the honeymoon. Man. That sucks. You almost need to take another another trip. That that can't count. That can't be it. You don't you don't want that. If you have the means to be able to make another honeymoon happen and call it your honeymoon, you should. Do something that you want to do. Maybe it's a bucket list place. I think you're well within your rights to spend maybe a little bit higher than you normally would for a trip and just mm -hmm. call it your honeymoon if you got COVID on your honeymoon. That sucks. Ugh. This is a throwback to a previous point that we've had, uh, Cajun skiing. And here's the thing, I don't know, Matthew, if you're Cajun, I know you're a big LSU guy, but 
you know, you're bringing up a great point that now you're kind of out of your home base. You're out of your own environment. It's snowy outside. You can't really go out and get fresh air. So I guess the the hidden upside of that, right, is after you've done all this wedding stuff, you know, we talked about in here, I'm sure your honeymoon of the night, the day after your wedding feels like a, you know, a victorious thing. It's like, well, at least you know, you know, you guys are in it for better or for worse at that point. Because if you spent all this time planning this and you you know what, you're just watching Netflix in the cold and you guys are still loving each other and you're still having a great time. It's like, you know what? This was a great time. We got through this, we didn't whatever. And then we just went home, had Christmas right after that. So it's like, now you're prepared. Your marriage is sturdy. You know what I'm saying? In sickness and in health. Exactly. That's what they say. Yeah. But take another honeymoon. You should, you deserve mm -hmm. it. Kobe Black. When my wife and I first married and before kids, I had one secret I would keep from her. She hates McDonald's, but for some reason, I love their breakfast. Their breakfast is pretty good. She worked an hour away then, so she left pretty early. I would occasionally treat myself to a sick day and go grab a big <laughs> breakfast deluxe with hotcakes, slam it, and then take a nap. <laughs> now that I'm a What a king! Oh my God! I'm gonna read that sentence again. That sentence needs to, needs to be heard by everyone listening to this podcast. I would occasionally treat myself to a sick day and go grab a big breakfast deluxe with hotcakes, slam it, and then take a nap. Yes, no no. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Now that I'm a sole provider and my wife is a great stay-at-home mom to two young kids, those days are now just fond memories. <laughs> That's not a horror story. That's not even a sick story. That's just you liking some McDonald's breakfast, Kobe. <laughs> That's... <laughs> that's a good point. It's not even really really into the topic, but great story. Yeah, it's like that. That's one of those memes about like whenever she thinks I'm cheating, like what I'm actually doing. It's like me and the boys. It's just like no, dude, you were just slamming a big breakfast deluxe and taking a, a, a nap. And it's like you might have woken up from your nap to 14 text messages. Your your wife being like, oh my gosh, where are you? Where this is sketchy. No, no, I was just taking that you know Ronald McDonald nap. I was doing nothing wrong here. Have you ever had the big breakfast deluxe? Uh, that's the one that comes in that little tray, right? Yeah, it's weird. It's yep. really weird. Yep. I, I don't get why they have to call it hotcakes. McDonald's just can't come up with a normal name for anything. Yep. Why, why do they do that? It, it's, it's, it's a pancake, okay? It's called what it is. It's a pancake. We all know what we're about here. We're eating this. It's pretty good. I had it a few times back in high school, I remember, because we had McDonald's right across the street. And there was a very brief time in which we would go to McDonald's like before uh, late arrival days when we had mm -hmm. those like a Thursday late arrival days. And oh yeah. Yeah, just, just like Kobe, I would slam a big big breakfast deluxe. <laughs> you know, I thought hotcakes was the North's fault. I thought that they just, everyone called them that up there, but I guess not. I guess nope. you guys are also confused by why they call them hotcakes, so don't worry now. Pancakes, just pancakes. Drew Page, uh, just recently my doctor diagnosed me as hypoglycemic. Oh dang, so my blood sugar will drop really low and my blood, sh blood pressure will just go all over the place. I had an incident at work where my blood pressure dropped dangerously low to 88.60 and I almost passed out sticking patients. Um, my wife uh, took care of me for about a week because um, off and on I would feel horrible. A week? I think for something like that, that's fair. That's fair. We said two to three days for like a normal sickness, stomach flu, something like that. You get a serious diagnosis like that. Yep. Okay. That's well within your rights. If you're, if you're single in a spot like that, it's gotta be a really dark time. Oh, sorry. True. Like, that's a good point. And I thought about that a lot with you know, people, people who got COVID and people who are living by themselves and how that would have to just kind of wear on you. If you, if you got something that you're like, 
kind of freaking out about it. Like, I don't really know what this is going to do to me and kind of worried about having to take care of myself and all these different things, not really having somebody to give you that support right there. That would just be really difficult to have to work through. So thankfully for you, Drew, you were able to have your wife there for, for a week and taking care of that. I don't know blood pressure well enough to know how bad 8860 is. Is that bad? I was about to say, man, and Drew's going to be laughing at this. This isn't mean. How are you going to be a phlebotomist and not be managing your own blood pressure, bro? You be sticking people to get their blood pressure. You're passing out while you're stick. Come on, bro. I don't even know what those numbers mean. I'm right there with you. I don't even know. I would read that and be like, cool. That's why people like you are the gatekeepers of, you know, blood, I guess. You got to be on top of that, man. Did you like how I just casually ran through that? I almost passed out sticking patients. <laughs> Diagnosing with hypoglycemia. <laughs> Don't think I've ever said that sentence before in this podcast. Probably will never say it again. Mm -hmm. But true. Hope you are doing well and you are not passing out while sticking patients. Don't do that. Get what you need. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Tillman says, most of my sick days these days, I take care of my daughter when she's sick. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had an awful sinus infection, had to stay home sick. Turned out daughter was sick too and couldn't go to daycare. So I spent my day sick as a dog taking uh, as a dog taking care of my daughter, uh, soon as my wife got home from work, I crashed on the couch and didn't wake up until morning. Will, you were telling me how you slept for, what, like 12 or 13 hours? An amount of time week. that would make you embarrassed to be friends with me. Like, <laughs> I was out that first weekend. That is kind of the nice thing about being sick is that you don't have to make up excuses for why you slept 13 hours. Exactly. That was rad. Pass out. And, hey, not wake up till morning. You're not going to have responsibilities that you're going to take care of. It's like, yep, yeah, no, just kind of needed, needed my rest. Needed to be able to just go into this mini coma for a little bit. Caleb passing out as soon as his wife got home. Yeah, I'm sure that's very, very relatable. You just no, sleep shout on out, when you're sick. Shout out to y'all that are parents, though, because seriously, me and Brittany were joking about that, about like, man, it's great that we're still like at the tail end of that point of our lives where we can yeah. just pass out because like you got to take care of another human, man. Your watch is not ended. So you're a hero for that. All y'all parents out here that are, like you said, you know, get something from your kids or it all spreads around your house and you got to put other people before you. I'm not quite there in my life. I respect the crap out of that, man. Yeah, a lot of sick days that you're dealing with as a parent mm -hmm. where a kid comes home from school and you just kind of know it's going to run through the household and, and you're just going to kind of have to deal with it. I definitely have not really had any sort of experience in that area where I've had to worry about that, which like if, if, if we have kids, that, that would be the thing that would come up all the time. I guarantee you my sick day streak would, would end very shortly in any sort of daycare situation. But yes, you're right. Thank you to all the parents out there who are doing the Lord's work, taking care of sick sick kids. Uh, let's go to uh, Chris. Chris Milan says, as my job is fully work from home, the only time I take sick leave is uh, if I'm basically dying. Yeah. Yes. Standard. Agreed. Michael Dark. Most of my sick days are used for my kids doctor appointments uh, or their illnesses on the rare occasion that I am actually sick. My wife will make fun of me and tell me to man up. Then a day or two later, she'll get it worse and I make fun of her. It's a totally <laughs> healthy part of our relationship. It's like low life. Just like the bar the barded uh, Homer Simpson thing where they're just hitting each other with chairs. It's like, ha ha, ha ha. <laughs> we had, I, when, when I was in college, we had the stomach flu go through our house of five guys. Each person, one by one, would get it. And I was... Avoiding them like the plague, man. Like I was 
trying to do everything in my power to not get that stomach flu because I'm like, oh, I don't want to have a day where I'm just, you know, throwing up and- Anti-stomach and, and flu pod, wow. <laughs> I am, I clearly, yeah, sorry. Not, not really into throwing up, uh, not, not my thing. But I somehow avoided it. And I had one day where I was kind of like, is this happening? Is this happening? And everybody's in that situation probably when you have kids who deal with their own illnesses, you know what exactly this is like, mm -hmm. where you're like, is my body rejecting this or is this about to happen? and I somehow didn't get sick. It's maybe the single most impressive feat of my lifetime. It might be. House of five guys, yeah, one guy didn't true. get sick. And probably no CDC protocols going on in that house either. No None. quarantining, just dudes out there being sick all over everybody's space. Oh, I hated that. One of my roommates was just sick in the, in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> what Dude, are you doing? put a tarp on yourself or something. Saran wrap yourself to that couch, have some decency. You are on the communal couch right now, wrapped up in the blanket and you're coughing. Like, come on, man, what are you doing? This is how pandemics yeah. start right here, buddy. Goodness gracious. Uh, let's see, let's go to this one from Joshua Morris. Joshua says, my last sick day came a couple weeks ago when I got COVID for the third time. Mm. One off of my mom's world record, by the way. So. <laughs> four times? <laughs> like my mom has had COVID four times. So Holy yeah, cow. very close. You're right there, neck and neck. Dang. Um, I don't take getting sick very well, so my wife steps up and does whatever is needed while I'm down. I don't have a particular show I watch when I'm sick. Uh, I just catch up on shows I've been trying to watch. I don't know if there is a, a specific show outside of Price is Right or Law and Order that is synonymous with being sick anymore. Has, has streaming ruined being homesick and watching TV? Wow, that's actually look what they've taken from us. We didn't even we didn't Jeez. even know. That's actually a really good point, man. Because yeah, like I said, I was watching Hulu, Netflix, like HBO type of vibes. Yeah, like no, there's no. And I think that's also heavily associated too with being a kid, which I'm sure kids have like streaming services now too. But it's like you would just watch whatever was on. It was ten times better. It was probably objectively trash TV, but it was awesome because you were the only one watching and everybody else was doing math. I knew that Sports Center episode by heart by the fifth time it rolled around back in the day mm -hmm. when they just re-aired SportsCenter over and over and over. Yep. I'm like, oh, this is when Alex Cora hits a double in the gap. <laughs> <laughs> you, dude, that was about to say you were the most informed sports fan ever coming because you will catch the same news on five different shows if you're watching ESPN. I'm saying Stuart Scott's catchphrases before he says them. Oh <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tiffany Ard, we'll end with this one. She says, I don't remember the last time I took a sick day for actually being sick. I usually work through it. I have an office job, so they prefer me to work from home if I'm sick. My husband works out of town, so he's usually not here to take care of me. My mom brings me ginger ale and whatever else I need. Oh, that's nice. I don't have a particular show I watch, but I've been trying to finish Yellowstone for a while now, so that would be my go-to. I did use a sick day to go to the national championship game. <laughs> I couldn't tell any of my coworkers about the awesome experience, but it would have been worth it. Having to find a new job, it needed to see the dogs win and end the drought. That's worthy of a sick day. Yep. If anybody gives you crap for that, you're just not meant to work there. That's how you know. There are definitely two types of workplaces when it comes to sick days too, and it literally is two. Like there's like my job, which was like, hey, stay away from us, 
take whatever time you need. Da da da. And there's Brittany's job. It's like, no, no, this is a law office. You need to get in here. It's like, oh, I'm gonna infect <laughs> everybody. And so it's like they were calling her like every other day, like, hey, did you test negative today? And my my coworkers were like, please stay away from our studio, stay away from our cameras. We don't want you anywhere near us, dog. But yeah, like there's definitely two kinds of workplaces. Yeah, and I. I've never really been in a spot where I've had to say I couldn't come in the office to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, It just hasn't happened to me in in journalism. It's just kind of set up in a little bit of a different way. If I, I've always been in a situation where if I really needed to file a story or something like that, it's like, if I have an internet connection, I'm able to do this. Right. Um, So I I haven't been in that spot. Have you in a previous job, we don't talk about current job and a potential. I can't talk about my one previous (laughs) job on here either. What do you mean? Oh, good point. Yeah, what good point. <laughs> like you literally worked for us, right? Um, okay, so you're the bad. You're you're a bad person to ask this question to. But I was thinking, like, what have you deemed worthy of taking a sick day for? Like, simply going on a vacation, you would think you have vacation days, unless you're mm-hmm. out of vacation days, or if you're one of those situations where you've only been there for a few months and you haven't accrued all that vacation time. Which that's such a load of crap. I hate that. Yeah, that's, a, that's such an annoying thing. Um, but have you been in a spot ever before where you've had to, to kind of kind of milk it a little bit? Like, All right, you know what? I'm gonna bite the bullet. I'm gonna take a sick day for this. This is what I deem worth it. To be honest, I'm sure like the closest I've come to that is like waking up and feeling like I didn't get enough sleep or something. Like I stayed up playing video games or doing something or just like went out or whatever, like on, you know, like let's say I went to an NFL game and then I was like wiped on that Monday and it was just like, no. But yeah, I I honestly, the way we do it is like we have sick days and PTO days and they would literally rather you just take a PTO day and be honest with you. And both of my boss, like my boss and my boss's boss are super cool. So I'm usually just, if there's something I see coming, I'm usually very much like, I'm going to take a PTO day. Goodbye. And they're like, awesome. Have a good time. Sorry, bosses. I was up all night watching Mario Hazonia tape. <laughs> I was watching Can't Mario Hazonia tape. Exactly. I had to scout Chet Holmgren. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to see if he's really as quirky as everybody else is saying. And it checks out after watching three hours of film of him. He is just as quirky as everybody says he is. Watched a full Pepperdine game. I'm out today, boys. <laughs> I had to go to therapy because I watched a whole Pepperdine game. <laughs> <laughs> playing in a freaking high school gym. What are they doing? Exactly. All right. Nobody knows what we're talking about anymore. What a great place to end. Um, If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. If you have not already, subscribe to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel. Uh, See this interview that we aired today with Paul Feinbaum. That'll be up this week as well. Uh, Join the Facebook group. Your name, Red on Air, with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.